Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Predators don't go after prey they think is going to win against them. They go after somebody they perceive as weaker. Statistics on violence against women show us that most women know who their attacker is. You know, your sense of taste. You ever drink spoiled milk? You have it in your mouth, your taste buds are like, something's wrong, it's spitting it out, almost naturally, so quick. That's your intuition, it's the same thing. It's a basic survival skill. The amount of stories that are out there about women being attacked while out for a run or out for a walk are unfortunately too regular. So that is a real concern comes up. How do I tell if I'm being followed? What can I do? I'm trying to make the information relatable you know, I had one young lady ask me, she's like, well, my dad doesn't want me to carry anything because he's worried it's going to be used against me. Should I call someone and have him on the phone with me while I'm walking? It's not saying, no, that's a bad idea. It's like, okay, well, let's talk through this. So what is that person supposed to do if you get attacked? Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. She has spent seven years uh, total experience thus far in what I would call the Women's Situational Awareness and Safety Department, which we're going to get into uh, quite heavy. She's the founder and president of the Diamond Arrow Group which empowers women uh, to really live on their own terms through situational awareness and safety. She's the author of Sharp Women, which to me, I'm going to be honest, is a little redundant because uh, let's face it, they all kind of are, right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Kelly Sayer. Did Thanks I, pr- for, I yeah. pronounced your name right? You did. Thanks for having me. You know how many times I've uh, done that and said, have I pronounced your name right on air when I should have just fucking asked before uh, before we started? I've, I've done that like 30 times in the, in the course of this show. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming down. I know uh, we've been working on uh, coordinating a date for you to come uh, do this for a while, and unfortunately it's uh, no better weather here than where you're from, I don't think, but, but I appreciate you taking the time to come down. I know um, you know, we do have a, a fairly uh, robust female listener uh, demographic that I think with a lot of the other guests that we've had on the show, a topic like this is a really important and b uh, of interest because it's a big part of our society. And and uh, you know, for somebody like me, a father of two daughters, um, you know, it's very important to me to uh, to go over this kind of stuff and and have somebody uh, with your level of subject matter expertise to talk to and and kind of go through this book, which I'm really really looking forward to. Uh, what is a woman? <laughs> oh man, you're gonna yeah. start with that. Yep. I think I would say that uh, I'm like, geez, Mike, I was hoping for the, what's your morning routine shit? 
No, you'll get um. that. I'm, 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 thro- I'm throwing you a shitty curveball. You don't have to answer that. Uh, what's the last book that you read? Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Tell me about it. It's basically talking about heuristics, but in a civilian way. He calls it thin slicing. So how we see things and immediately interpret the information, make it relate to us. But it's so fast. And he's breaking down that process in his book. It's really it's fascinating. I love that stuff. Does it talk at all about uh, preconceived notions or biases that we have and how that, that would impact uh, a quick assessment of something incorrectly, perhaps? Yeah, it, the slippery slope of sometimes as we get to be more expert at something, then we judge because, oh, well, I've seen this before, so this is what this is XYZ, this is what's going to happen, this is a scenario. Instead of taking the time and realizing, okay, I, I see this all the time, I've been in this field, let's say law enforcement for 20 years, so when I see this crime scene, this is exactly what I think happened. And so the slow down and realize, like, okay, still go through the process, still think about that. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. you got to be aware of it. Being aware of it is most, yeah. most important. So in, in uh, maybe in summary, like don't let your, your expertise bias your opinion or, or make you get complacent. Yeah, complacent I think is a good one. Uh, what is your favorite childhood memory? Uh, camping for me in northern Minnesota. Boundary waters? Not that far. Cass Lake, Pike Bay people from yeah. there would know that. But it was, we had electric hookup, but you had to go pump water. And it was a beautiful, I mean, clear water, the lake. And so we would wake up, we had, we're in a little pickup camper um, that only slept four and there was five in my family. So my brother and I would switch off sleeping in the pickup cab, like crawling through the window yeah. and sleeping in the cab, which I hated That's because, awesome. it, you know, you'd see the... The, the branches move and you wake up in the middle of the night and it just didn't feel, it felt like you were sleeping outside. But yeah, yeah we so would just be in the water all day. Is that uh, in the Bemidji area by chance? North of that. North of that. It's way, way up there. Not Boundary Waters, but north of uh, yeah. Bemidji. I've spent a fair bit of time up there. My, uh, It's one of those things, um, looking back on it and me as, as a dad now with kids that were that are that age that, you know, when, when I did that, like I can't believe my parents let me drive with a buddy of mine from northern Iowa all the way up to the fucking boundary waters and hike for a week by ourselves when we were like 16. Uh, there's no fucking way I'd let my kids do that. Um, I mean, part of it is that they're girls, but uh, just, I mean, fuck the way the world is. Like, I just wouldn't be be that comfortable with it. And we didn't have cell phones. You know, there's no GPSs. Like, we were up there with fucking nothing, you know, for like a week. It was, it was crazy. And it was awesome. But right. Uh, I'm going to take a a quick break. I I do want to let you guys know um, the way that you can support the show is to support our sponsors. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear ads, but uh, that's how I do what I do for a living. So uh, any support you can show for our gracious sponsors is much appreciated. And again, it does uh, does support the show. So thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. What is your morning routine? Um, pretty typical wake up around 5, 50, 6 o'clock. Cold plunge? 
Yeah, no, it's you cold naturally. Right. Step That's outside. That, yeah. Um, and I have two boys, nine and 11 right now. And so um, my husband usually goes downstairs, makes the coffee. I get the kids up and then we kind of switch. And then I go down and make breakfast for the kids myself. Um, Not him. No. You don't make him breakfast? No. He doesn't eat breakfast? No, he usually doesn't. It's like a piece of toast. I got you. Um, But, and then I work out in the mornings twice a week, and then he'll, we kind of flip-flop depending on, or meetings or schedule, whatever. So it's always the night before, like, can you get the kids to the bus? Because our bus stop isn't actually at our house, so we have to drive a few miles away. Yeah. And so we switch off that role. And then I usually, as soon as I'm done working out, or if I'm not working out, I go straight to my office once the kids are gone yeah and then it's work until five six o'clock so so with him being a a higher up uh within a a fairly big police department does his schedule change a lot or is he kind of past the you know working fucking vampire shift and all that like is it is it more predictable now that yeah so yeah yep his shift or his schedule is really predictable and he's also on call with with some of the teams that he manages runs or is on i got you um all right so growing up you're you're from minnesota yeah uh where where exactly rockville Rockville. i'm gonna say rockville it's a town of 500 people where where is that in relation to minneapolis um 60 miles northwest up 94 st cloud is the big city that is by us so like uh growing up going into town like you'd go into minneapolis to go shopping and all that no going to st cloud oh really yep so Minneapolis was like a once a year thing. Right. Yeah. And actually, um, School my driving. mom refuses to drive in the city, so we never went there. And my dad is a truck driver, and he also refused to go there. So yeah. that wasn't until I was old enough to drive. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how big of a town is St. Cloud? The town itself, I would say, is 70,000, 75,000. But then there's four other cities around it, five. So all together, the cluster, I would say, is like 150. Yeah. And uh, how far is that from where you grew up? Ten miles. Ten miles. Um, growing up in in Minnesota and um, it being Viking country, football wise, but also just, I mean, almost culturally, like the the weather is you know pretty northern European uh, like. Uh, what was what, how would you encompass growing up there? And, and did you have siblings? And just what was that experience like? Yeah, I have uh, two siblings, a younger brother and a younger sister. And we grew up there. I, you played outside. This was, I'm old enough to have been born <laughs> before a lot of the electronics. Um, my parents were very much like, you're not getting a video game console. We don't have a computer. So it was very much kind of on your own. We were latchkey kids. Yeah. Um, How many of you? Three of us. And the, we were pretty close in age. Brothers three years younger, sisters five years younger. And so I was kind of always the one in charge. So, but we very much were like, well, what can we do outside? Building forts and climbing trees. And there was a, a little cornfield. Rockville's so small. We're in town, but across the street is a cornfield. You know, one of those yeah. type of things. And there was a, a hill. So in the winter, we'd go sledding. And mom would call us in by flicking the front porch lights. And that's when we knew it was time to come in. Yeah. So we were outside all the time. Yeah. I mean, being in a town that small and, and kind of what you do for a living now, was there a huge disparity or, or was there like a kind of a naivete growing up where nothing bad happened and like you were pretty oblivious to the, the evils of the world that, that really exist? Or, or were there any examples of 
shit like that that happened growing up that kind of uh, woke you up that way? I think there was a certain naive feeling or outlook. Um, I mean, technically I was born down in Marshall, Minnesota, and we moved up when I was little. Um, but I was in second grade, so what is that, seven years old, eight years old? And even though it's our small town, there was a major highway that went through. And I had, because we were too close to school, probably five, six blocks, I had to walk. So at seven, eight years old, little girl walking alongside this major highway and then to get to elementary school every day. So I think about that and you talk about your daughters. I'm like, I would never, like now I'd be like, no way, I'm walking you to school every day. But, But we couldn't, that wasn't an option. And then once I had my brother was in school and stuff, then it was, okay, there's two of us walking. That's different. Um, but where I lived, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jacob Wetterling. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob Wetterling was 11, and he was kidnapped from the next town over. And it, it, they started the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, um, and he just went missing. And basically what happened is him, a friend, and a brother went biking to the, to the gas station to get a video, to rent a video, and on their way back were stopped by an individual with a gun, and he told the other two to run, and he took Jacob. And nobody ever knew what happened to him, and we had Jacob's Hope, and we had all of these things. And I was probably nine or ten when he was abducted. I think I was that old. And so that was really impactful because I was right there. Yeah. Did they ever find him? A few years ago. They finally, um, the individual through... um, he was arrested for child pornography, older guy, and um, through, you know, bargaining, whatever, they, um, he confessed and told oh. them where the body was, and then they went and dug up the body. It was like 30 years later. Holy crap. Yeah, so that was, that, that was very much front of mind then when I was that age, and, but yet, ironically, I had a paper out yeah. in fourth grade and would bike all over our little town. To At five papers. in the morning? No. It was, it, was the, it wasn't the... Big paper. It was like yeah. the shopping news oh, once a week, so. so I could go after school. Yeah. But. Um, so growing up, I guess in that environment, uh, A, did you play any sports? Yes, I played volleyball. And uh, and B, like what, what did you want to do uh, when you grew up? Like what was kind of your career path or uh, desire professionally as, uh, as you were growing up there? I really wanted to be a veterinarian. Really? Yep. That was my grandma had bought me the best of James Harriet. He was like an Irish vet that wrote all these books. And um, so I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. want to work with animals. And uh, we, our second family dog, Rusty, uh, he was, you know, the old outdoor on a chain run with the doghouse inside the, the back garage. And an unfortunate incident. We weren't home. Neighbor kid came over, played in our sandbox. Rusty could reach it, bit him. And so they, you know, sued us. We had to put the dog down. And when we did that, I was like, I could never put down a healthy dog. Yeah. Nope, I can't be a vet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so I changed my mind. And then after that, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. But I knew growing up in that small town, I was very much, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah, I have to get out of here. I got to see there's so much else out there. I was the oldest. I was just very, you know, my mom used to joke um, that I was the milkman and the male lady's daughter because I was so different yeah. than, than my perspective of the world was so different than hers. And being that my dad was gone most of the time being a truck driver, she, her and I just butted heads. Yeah. And not, not in a 
abnormal teenage way, but in a very much, we're just two different people. Yeah. Like for her to drive in the Twin Cities or, I mean, the first time she was on an airplane is when she was in her 50s and came to visit me in California. Wow. So, so we just had a very different, I was like, I want to meet everyone and go everywhere. And she was like, I, I'm never leaving. Yeah. <laughs> So what, uh, how did that progress, uh, like through high school and, and once you graduated, like what was at the forefront and, and what kind of drove you into uh, the, the different career paths or, or aspects of your life prior to what you do now? I, I was very much a planner type A person in high school. Like I sat down my freshman year of high school, figured out, what classes I had to take for the next four years in order to have study labs, like as many, as many slough off class my senior year as possible. Um, and so I was very much like, here's the plan. This is what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was working, I think my first official job was housekeeping in a Holiday Inn. Really? That was very In high school? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then I went to the cafe and did busing, um, busing tables, in which you actually got to do room service, so you got better tips anyway. Um, but I was like, oh, I like hospitality. I like hotels. This is really cool. You can travel. You can get a job anywhere, and you can go to all these exotic places and, and do all these things. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go for hotel management. I'm going to go to this college. Like I applied my junior year, got accepted, all these things. And then, and neither of my parents were anti-college or for college, really. They were kind of like, well, if you want to do that, good luck. Yeah, figure it out. Which led to um, a friend of mine <laughs> grabbing me one day and saying, hey, I'm joining the National Guard. You should join it too. And I was like, hmm, that's a good point. You know, That'll help me pay for college. And I've always kind of been, my dad was a big World War II buff. I grew up watching a lot of those um, movies and documentaries and Tour of Duty and China Beach and MASH, all those shows. So to me, like I even went to Ragstock and had like all the PT t-shirts, you know, like Marines, Army, yeah. Navy, you know, whatever. And I would wear those. And yeah. I was very much a tomboy in high school. I wore the, you know, Levi's jeans, the no fear t-shirts and the flannel, you know, over. Like a 90s grunge check. <laughs> kind yeah. of a not quite grunge. Yeah. Um, but it was just very like, oh, that, that sounds cool. You know, it, was, it wasn't so abnormal or so out of the realm of possibility. Um, and so that was going to be my ticket out. Yeah. And so I joined or, you know, went through everything, had to have my parents sign off because I was, I'm a summer baby. So I was 17 when I graduated high school and I went to boot camp the summer after my senior year. But because I had been so proactive and signed up for college um, and was already accepted, they said, we'll give you the split option. So, which they typically give high school juniors that join um, so that you can come back and go your senior year of high school. So they were like, yep, you'll just go to boot camp this summer, drill with the unit, and then come back and do AIT the following summer. And I was like, great, sounds good. And that, that was my first time on an airplane um, going to boot camp. And that, to me, was such a pivotal moment. Um, I know it's not possible, but I think everybody should go through boot camp. At, of, and now it's different. I don't even know what the standards are. Again, this was... A few years ago. Yeah. Um, but that to me was the perfect passageway because there I learned that no matter how exhausted I was mentally or physically, there was always a little bit more in the gas tank. And they didn't they didn't care who you were, they didn't care what your background was, they didn't care who you knew where you came from, whatever. They were like, This is what you have to do and do it. Period. Like 
There's no whining. There's no excuses. And so that to me was, I say, one of the best life experiences for me. And, but then I graduated uh, on a Friday and started college on a Monday. Wow. So I went right from, exactly. Like I showed up and I had met my dorm roommate at placement testing. And so she was there. So I missed all of freshman orientation. I missed all of that stuff. So she's there and they're like, well, where's your roommate? Oh, she's at boot camp. So they're all expecting this huge butch, like, (laughs) you know, whatever chick to come wants to beat everybody up. And then I show up and they're like, oh, but I also had zero patience or tolerance for, you know, shit laying around that or people with like the professor would come in. It's like, shut up or be quiet or, or like fall, you know. Whatever. Um, so that was definitely a culture shock. But where did you go to school? It was uh, University of Wisconsin Stout in Stout. Menominee, Wisconsin. What? Uh, Which my mom was like, "You're gonna be so far away," and I'm like, yeah. "Mom, two hours." Yeah. She's like, "But I, I had to have to drive by the cities. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go across state lines." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's wild. Uh, so, all right. So you went through boot camp started college, and then did you do AIT uh, that following summer? Um, so that's actually, that's part of the interesting story that I, I usually don't talk about going to boot camp because people are like, well, you, you were in the military, you weren't. Um, so because of the national guard, you have to drill once a weekend. Yeah. Well, I didn't have a car my freshman year of college, so, um, I couldn't get back and forth to drill. And they're like, well, you just drill with the unit there, Menominee. Well, it was an infantry unit. So as a female, I couldn't. So they had me doing like paperwork to make up hours at nights. Like I would come in and type up all kinds of fun, not fun paperwork. And so I really lost touch with like the mission, let's say. Well, when I went back to MEPS, then to go through the physical before going to AIT, they were like, your knees are awful. And from playing volleyball, um, running, just being outdoors, I had bad knees the way it was. And so they kicked me out or kicked me back to my unit in St. Cloud and said, and I'll never forget that conversation of like, you can either sign a waiver that if anything happens to your knees at AIT, like we're not responsible or we'll just give you a general discharge. And at the time and the influential people in my life, you know, I had a boyfriend. I, my mom was like, don't, you know, when I signed up for the military, she again was like, oh, my God, my baby's going to go to war. And this is Pete's time. Yeah. Like, I was like, no, Mom, I'm trying to figure out how to pay for college. And it's kind of cool. Um, but so I was like, well, I'm 18. I don't, I don't have insurance. I don't have a job. If, if I screw up my knees for the rest of my life. And, you know, the people, like I said, the influential people around me were like, just just get out. Just you'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. And that, so I took the general discharge. So really, I'm like, I got to go to basically an adult summer camp that kicked my ass. Yeah. But you you learned a lot, though. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It was such, it was such an experience. Looking back on it now, do you have any regrets for, uh, for taking that route? Or is it one of those, I'm happy where I'm at and I wouldn't be here, you know, if I had done that, who knows where I would be? Like, how do you reflect on that? Um, I would have to say if that is like the one regret that I'll own up to in my life type thing is that is not staying in it. Um, and I also wouldn't be where I am today had I made a different decision. Who knows? Yeah. Not saying it would be worse, but, or better, 
but yeah. it would just be different. Yeah. So I mean, that's a question I get asked a lot. Like, Hey, if you hadn't joined the military, you know, what would you be doing? I'm like, dude, flip a fucking coin. I have no <laughs> idea. Like I really have no fucking clue what I'd be doing if I hadn't, hadn't joined. Uh, and I, I'm, I don't even really like thinking about it. You know I mean? My life would be so vastly different. I can't even, can't even really wrap my mind around it, but, uh, all right. So you, you take the general discharge and then did you stay in college? No. Cause then I was like, well, how am I going to pay for college now? And doing the hospitality granted the first year is not really, you're not getting into those called that, that like 400 level classes. Um, but I was, I just did the whole, okay. I, I don't know what I want to do with my life. This is because I was such a planner because I had all organized out. This is a curveball that I didn't see coming. You know, surprise, life doesn't happen the way you plan it. And so I was like, okay, I kind of need to get my bearings. Transferred back to the local tech college in St. Cloud and was like, I'm going to do sales and management. I'll, I'll get a two-year degree. And then when I grow up, I'll figure out what I want to do. And so did that and got done. Well, in that, that boyfriend had proposed. We were engaged. And, um, and I kind of get into it in the in the book talking about the behaviors at the time that were more controlling that I didn't realize at the time were controlling. But, um, so I'm back home, I'm around all my old friends, I'm around the boyfriend now more, but I was like, well, I'm going to live with, you know, my three girlfriends in this place. I'm going to go to school with all these kids that are my age and I'm there all the time and around them. Was he older? Um, yeah, like three years, but I would say that old soul type thing. Um, he wanted to, settle down, have babies, I'll be a stay-at-home mom, like all this kind of stuff. And I, I was like, no, nah, that's not me. It's just, that's not me. And so going to school back in my hometown where I knew more people didn't feel, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go out and hang out with these people. Whereas when you're in the college, you know, stayed away, you're not showing up. And because I'd gone to boot camp after my senior year, I didn't go out to the senior parties and I didn't, you know, I didn't really say goodbye. Yeah. It's like I left, we graduated and I was gone that summer and then I went to school in another state. Um, and then I was like, you know, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I'm not ready to get married. What the hell am I thinking? I'm so young, blah, blah, blah. Broke off the engagement. And then it was like this whole, what are you doing? You're messing up your life. Like, you know, you're done with college now. You've got that two-year degree, which both my parents had had. So they were like, you're good. Um, sales management, you can get a job doing anything. Um, you're here, you know, you have a, you know, he had a house. It was kind of like the white picket fence, two kids and a dog. Like you'll have it all. What are you doing? Throwing it all away because you just don't feel right. And through all of that, you know, I, there was a lot of pressures. And at that time I look back and I want, you know, you talk about regrets try not to give myself too much grief for that time period, putting myself back there. But it, it got to be where I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe I am making a mistake. Maybe I am asking for too much or thinking because you know, I grew up in the small town. This is whatever everyone's telling me. This is perfect. You know, this is sweet because my dad being an overload truck driver was gone Monday through Friday. And I didn't think that was unusual. I was like, well, that's, that's just normal. That's what, you know, when kids would say, I only see my dad on the weekends and be like, me too. Not knowing there was a different context yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so for my mom, she was like, you, you have someone who's going to be home every night. He's home every weekend. He's got a good job. They can provide blah, blah, all these things. And so I was like, yeah, maybe they're right. I'm, I don't know. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. 
And so we ended up getting back together and got married. And <laughs> a month after we got married, we were camping with my sibling, with my brother and his girlfriend at the time. And we got in this huge fight. And he's like, well, I didn't really love you. I only married you, so you'd never leave. And I was like, <gasps> because I'd been raised Catholic, and you just you don't get divorced. That is the worst thing ever, you know? And we had just been married, and I just remember being crushed. Like, what am I, a bird? What am I, a caged bird? And that um, impacted me and, and did the whole thing and tried to go to couples counseling, and, and it was very much a smug response, is I guess the way I would describe it, is, Meh, what are you going to do? You're not going to leave. You're kind of stuck with me now, which only pissed me off more. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of said, you know, the, even the counselor was like, okay, you two, we're going in circles. You're either going to commit to staying together and figuring it out or you're going to get divorced. And it was kind of like, he sat back. He's like, oh, I'm not getting divorced. And I was like, fuck you. I am. <laughs> and I walked out and that was nuclear fallout. Dramatic. I know it's not nuclear fallout, but it felt that way at the time because it was oh my God, you just got married. You'd already broken up the engagement. You got back together. Now you got married. Now you got divorced. It was awful. And to the point because of all the friends were like, oh, well, sorry. Like we can't invite both of you to go out. And, you know, my boyfriend's friends with him. So, and that really then was like, okay, I've been through boot camp. You know, like I can do anything, go anywhere figure this out on my own. I don't need much. And that was where my college dorm roommate um, was done at Stout. She had stayed there and we were best friends. And I was like, let's move to California. And and that's where I kind of look at life as like chapters. So that was close of one chapter, open of the next. So you go to California and, and what, uh, where and what did you do? So we went to um, Irvine, Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach area. She had gotten a job in, in a hotel there, and I was kind of like, I, I don't care. I'll figure it out. And we, she had a couple friend that lived there and had a two-bedroom apartment so we could take over the second bedroom until we figured out what we were doing. And that was just another great experience because it was her and I. Nobody was judging me, knew my backstory. It was almost like a fresh start, and I could really figure out who I was. I know a lot of people say, oh, people in California are fake. And I'm like, well, they are, or they just don't give a shit what you think. And they're just kind of like, you're not my type, whatever. Or like, we don't have interests. So I could be whoever I was because there's a million people and you could find commonalities with whoever. So I really loved it. I loved the weather. (laughs) Yeah, This is like 2000? 2003. Okay. Uh, I would like to take a real quick break and talk to you about uh, my bookie. I want you to uh, go to mybookie.com and use my promo code MICDROP, uh, which you'll instantly get a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Remember to use my code MICDROP and bet with me only at mybookie. Primarily, the only way watching these fights could get any better is to get paid doing it, and mybookie makes that a possibility. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Did 9-11 have any impact on you? Like, uh, where, where were, you, were you in college when that happened? No, I was, was I, in college? I might have been still in college. I remember where I was. Um, I was at work, and ironically, um, 
we were like woodcraft, cabinet making, supplies, knobs, poles, sliders. And I was a sales assistant there. And my computer was the only one that had internet. So this was after your general discharge? Uh Uh-huh. So I'd gotten out in 99. Okay. Um, But I remember like all the phones went dead. Like we were an income, incoming call center, customers calling us and none of the phones were ringing and everyone's listening to radios because we had no TVs. People didn't have their cell phone, you know, and my computer was the only one with internet. So I'm constantly hitting like refresh, like what the hell? And ironically, for whatever reason, my dad was home that day and it was kind of this surreal because you're listening and we're not used to that you know how people used to sit around and listen to the radio and and hear stories so you're you're imagining your your mind is creating the picture more than actually seeing the images and i remember calling my dad ironically he was home that morning for whatever reason and being on the phone with him he was watching tv and he's like oh my god the tower is falling and so again you're, you can only imagine you can't see this image and i just was like what the what the hell is happening? And then there was the whole, I wish I wouldn't have gotten out, but I can't go back and change that now. But kind of the whole, you only have one life to live. You just never know what's going on. And really brought that perspective of like, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think of me. This is this is a really big deal. And this is really, I just knew was going to change the trajectory. And but more than what I could grasp at that moment. Yeah. I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I know uh, it's a, an interesting question to ask uh, pretty much every guest I have. And, you know, there's such a wide variety of answers. But uh, to me, I'm always curious what, what impact that had because it was such a pivotal moment in our nation's history. But um, <clears throat> all right, so you're in California. You're kind of figuring your shit out. Between then and going back to Minnesota, what, I mean, that's what, a 10-year period? No, not even. Not like even? three. So you three years in California. What what was the the, the process back and, and ultimately in, into, I guess from '03 to 2017 when you got into this. What what was the the span of that like? Oh jeez. Um, or how would you categorize it? Right. So out in California, like I said, it was. I I say that I found my inner spark again, and was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. This is who I am, and and just gained a lot of self confidence. Because it was my girlfriend and I out there, we didn't have family. You know, we only could create the relationships or create our circle, our tribe from scratch. So who do you trust? And, you know, when the car breaks down, who are you calling? You know, or different things like that. And because we're two single females, there was a lot of discussions that we had on, well, if we're getting robbed (laughs) or if our apartment's getting broken into or if we're out for a walk... Um, you know, the thing was she was going to run and I was going to try and tackle them because growing up with my brother, him and I grappled all the time growing up. We beat the crap out of each other. And she just didn't have that growing up, didn't have that mentality. So I'm like, well, one of us has got to be a witness, you know? And, you know, looking back now, I'm like, why did I volunteer his tribute? What? Did you, uh, did you guys have any close calls in the few years you're out there? Mm -mm. Nothing. Yeah, knock on wood. But we did, you know, we like, if we're out and it's just the two of us, what's our safety word? Yeah. You know, how are we going to, if somebody's bothering us, what's going to be our word to, to get the other person's attention that we're like, oh, you don't want to be talking to that person. Yeah. I need to interrupt you and, you know, pull you away. 
so we had conversations like that. Um, but, you know, I met someone out there, got set up on a blind date. He had family in Iowa, ironically. Look out. Yeah. And... Uh, Which means you automatically can't trust him. <laughs> and... It was, that was right when my brother's having, you know, starting his family, my sister's starting her family, and there was very much that pull of, I don't want to be the aunt yeah. in California that they don't know. And, I mean, the cost of living, it just, it was great while I was young, single, had no responsibilities, could work 80 hours a week to pay the rent yeah. and get groceries, you know. Um, so it was like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's time. And, um he proposed, we moved back to Minnesota. There was some family issues on his side with, um, you know, they had said, his dad had said, well, I'll help with the down payment of the house. Well, this was 2008. So right at the housing market, right before the crash hit the Midwest. Yep. And so houses were at premium. It's like, okay, well, we don't have jobs lined up back home. You know, I don't have a huge savings account after living in Southern California. Um, so his dad had said, and then we signed papers on a house and, you know, whatever happened. Um, but his dad was like, nope, I'm not going to help you with the down payment. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I signed a contract. I yeah. can't back out on this. I paid the $1,000 earnest money. What? And so it was like, whatever. I've done it before. We'll figure it out. And so we moved back. It was like the coldest day in, of winter it was February and I was like what? wait a minute wait I want to change my mind I don't want to come back right now this is ridiculous um and that's what kind of brought me back to Minnesota so did you uh end up staying is this the, your current husband no. no did you guys end up getting married <laughs> yes yeah so strike two yeah strike two yeah strike uh, two uh, so from from there until uh your current relationship what uh what, what was the the timeline or the uh the path that way yeah so um my second husband had grown up with like a silver spoon and so this is the iowa guy yeah i didn't know they had that in iowa <laughs> well he had some family in iowa but he had grown up outside of detroit and then st louis i got you and um his dad lived in california and oh. He, so to him, I mean, like we were donating plasma to get yeah. groceries. We were paying the bills, but it was very much like, hey, let's keep the house at 62 degrees because we need to keep the energy bills low. Yeah. And um, that was a new experience. I'll categorize it. And my perspective of he didn't handle that well. And so it was very much, I got to get out of here and, or how do I cope? And it wasn't. He didn't choose the best coping mechanisms and we didn't have kids. And it was very much like, okay, listen, this is the time. Like it should get off the pot. Like either we're all in or we're not because I'm not going to have kids with someone who is seeming to act like a big kid and great guy. Don't get me wrong, but it was very much like, it's just easier. So he left and went to St. Moved down to St. Louis at first and there I was, you know, back near where I grew up pretty much and going through a second divorce, which was, I thought the first time was bad. The second time wasn't even any better. Um, 
But again, I look back at those times and I'm like, I wouldn't change that. Um, it made me who I am today. It made me stronger. It made me appreciate, maybe empathize with women who are struggling with things or they're, you know, it's not so easy as like, well, I'll just get divorced or I'll just leave. It's, there's so many other factors. But in that time then was very much like, I hate men. Sorry, hate him. Like, don't trust. Zero trust, whatever. And that um, was, a, it was winter I remember, and just, it was me and my dog. <laughs> what kind of dog was it? A pit bull All that right. I had adopted from California before I left. I had volunteered. Yeah. At, this is always so funny, but I had volunteered at the Humane Societies at college um, when I lived in California because I couldn't have a dog, but this way I could see him. Yeah. And so I had volunteered at the, the Huntington Beach Humane Society off Newland for anybody who's listening out there, and they had a lot of pit bulls, and that was my first interaction with them, and I thought they were just hilarious. Such personalities, yeah. so funny. And so when I knew I was moving back, I was like, finally, I get to pick one to take with me. Yeah. So. All right, so you take him. So it's you and your dog. Um, you're in Iowa or Minnesota? I'm in Minnesota. Okay. Well, back but, home. I'm 10 miles from where I grew up. Okay. What are you doing uh, career-wise at that point? Working in a restaurant um, as an assistant manager and then went to work you know, an event center, kind of one of those, again, where I don't care. I just, I need a job. I can, I don't have kids. I can work as many hours as you want, whatever. Um, and then got introduced to, or somebody called and said, hey, the Convention and Visitors Bureau has a sports tourism director job open and you'd be perfect for it. And I'm like, what the heck is sports tourism? Like, ah, you, you you'll just, figure it out. You'll, it's fine. Just go interview. And I did, got the job. And that was Awesome. Basically, I represented our area, our community, our facilities, our hotels to events rights holders or amateur sporting events. So think of kids hockey and basketball and baseball, any sport. Um, and you so try to get them to come to, to come to St. Cloud because with youth sports, you usually get grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles and they're staying in the hotels. They're eating in your restaurant. So it's an economic impact. Yeah. And it was so much fun. I did that job. Um, for eight years, and that was it. Was a blast. You played hard, you worked hard, and you partied hard. So, yeah. what? Uh, how did that come to a conclusion? Entering into kind of your discovery of the situational awareness, women's safety type of uh, line of work. Um, what was the what was the transition well, from and why? Right. So, at parallel to that same time doing the sports tourism is how I met my husband. Now husband, third time's a charm. Yeah. I told him, like, you're, you're dying before I leave. You know, yeah. we're going to always fight, fight this out tooth or nail. So I definitely found a gentleman who will fight tooth or nail with me. Um, but in a good way, folks, not in a bad way. And so he and I met, and I'm doing the, the job, and it was very much like life is good. This is great. Um, we started... You know, we got married, we started our family, had kids, and then it was very much, I'm a very driven person, and I like to be challenged. And in that community, you only have so many hotel rooms. You have only so many facilities. You can only host so many events. And I had gotten to work on some really big, awesome events, and so it was very much like, what's next? Like, there's not, I was already the director. Yeah. <laughs> there was no other upward, unless we moved to a larger city. And... And being law enforcement, it, you know, you don't just jump, jump around. 
that was, he had joined that department when he got out of college and stayed in it. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, I'll be in it till I retire. So I'd always in high school, my senior year, I had taken an entrepreneurship class and I was like, I always want to have my own business someday, but I don't know what. And in events, which I kind of kept going back to or hospitality or restaurants, it's a lot of nights and weekends. And that's not very conducive to family and being married to someone whose job is very, sorry, got to go, got to call, got to go. You can't, you can't commit to being gone when you have little kids because he's literally going to probably save someone's life or whatever, um, prevent further violence. So you kind of always have to have a, a little bit of a give and take. And so um, I had joined this executive peer group for women, and the, the owner was a, a solopreneur. And through the coaching, she's like, oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? Well, I don't want my company to end. You know, when I retire, I want it to be my legacy. So what do you think about helping me? And it was in helping women, building their confidence through events and coaching, um, and like ne uh, networking groups or, or executive confidential groups. And, and so I did. And in that is, is where I kind of learned and really got a passion for helping other women and, and hearing them talk about what was holding them back. These are powerful women on the outside. You know, everyone's like, wow, they're leading, they're the director, they're the vice president, the president, whatever. And behind closed doors, they still have concerns. They still have fears. They still have things that they deal with that, you're like, really? Oh, I thought that was just me. Or I thought you you carry yourself so well that I never would have imagined that was the behind the story. And um, and that's and that fell apart. Um, the owner, some unethical business practices, and I discovered them, called it out. I got fired. Um, and then I was kind of like, well, son of a biscuit. And... Uh, my mentor at the time, who I had met on an airplane, had sat next to him, was like, hey, I know, be, oh, sorry, back up a little bit. So I had taken my first women's self-defense class the, the fall of 2016 while I was still working for this um, woman's company. And it was awesome. I loved it. Like I'd always grown up grappling my brother. I'd, I'd gone through boot camp. I was always a physical person. I enjoyed working out. But I was like, you know, if I ever got hit <laughs> or if I ever got in a fight, that's a whole another ball game. Yeah. It's different. And I don't know how I would react. I don't, I've never put myself mentally there even. And, um, a friend of a woman I knew was hosting this class and co-training or co-teaching with uh, a male. And it was awesome. We spent the four year, four hours hitting, kicking, punching, screaming, all the things, get back all these. And I was like, this is awesome. At the very end of class, the male instructor said, hey, but, you know, let's, let's get real, ladies. You're go predators don't uh, go after prey they think is going to win against them. They go after somebody they perceive as weaker. And the statistics on violence against women show us that most women know who their attacker is. So it's a whole other psychological Dynamic. Is, is there, uh, if you know from a statistical standpoint, that person that they know, is there a category or a top three categories that, that the person that they know fall into? Is it they're in a relationship with, they work with, or like is, is there more detailed data on, on that? 
they do break it down, but it's it's subjective. Like, what do you consider an acquaintance? What do you oh, consider, okay. a, you know, a coworker, a previous co? So you can get kind of into the weeds, but it's known to where it's not that stranger danger. Yeah. So the instructor is saying that to us, like, hey, you know, so I'm going to give you some real talk. So you, the last thing you want to do is get into a physical fight, ladies. The last thing you want to do is get into a physical self-defense situation. Like, if you are, okay, fight tooth and nail. But do everything in your power to avoid that. You need to be more situationally aware. And then he was like, see ya. And, and my brain was like, wait, 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 wait. We just spent the entire class focused on the skills I'm supposed to avoid using, if at all possible. And the thing I'm supposed to use all the time, we didn't talk about it at all. Seems like a shitty way to wrap that. Uh, well, and I'm sure it's not intentional. Like, yeah. I feel every time I tell this story, I'm always like, but I, the two instructors, I'm like, you guys did a great job, yeah. but it, and I'm glad for it that it happened the way it did because that to me was running into a brick wall and going, wait a minute, what the heck is situational awareness? What are you, what are you talking about? Being married to law enforcement, it was nice. I go back, I'm like, well, what is that? And then we could have these really good discussions. But his, my husband's perspective was, I'm going into a dangerous situation already, or I'm walking towards the situation, or I'm running towards the sound of gunfire. Whereas I'm like, I'm getting the hell out. Like, no, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to. And the threats look different for males and females. What are some of those early micro threats? You know, he's a cop. Like he's looking and listening at and everything. at everything and and viewing people differently. And talking about being, you know, he's been in law enforcement 26 years, 27 years now. So he's got a lot of that expert, like, quick. And he was in the military before that? Yep. And he had the 20 years in the military before that. So, or I guess at the same time, some of it. And so he's got a very different mindset. But it was fascinating to have those conversations. And But what happened is then I said, well, I got to go get situational awareness training because I got to understand this. And what I, I could find situational awareness talked about a little bit, but it was always in the executive protection industry or the military or law enforcement, like the combat hunter program in the Marines. And I could find those individuals to talk and reach out to them. You know, I'm not shy. So I'd, I'd send them a, an email or a LinkedIn message like, hi, I have a question. Here's my questions. Can I take 30 minutes of your time? I'd appreciate it. Most of the time they're like, yeah. And all of most of them were male and years of experience, law enforcement, FBI, military, whatever it would be. But they all had wives or daughters or mothers or sisters. And so I'd say, well, what about this? What does this mean? Okay, well, all your acronyms don't necessarily make sense to me. So how do I relate that to, what I, to my day-to-day? Or, okay, you know, do X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, that's awesome. But I have a four and five-year-old who don't listen, are like herding cats. So how do I do it then? And they'd be like, oh, I guess I never thought of that. You know, because they hadn't from their mindset. And so the more I dug, the more I came up with no answers or the, the comment of there really isn't training out there for civilians, but specifically females, mm-hmm. civilians or citizens, average, everyday person. And so I was like, well, I don't know if this is a thing, but if I thought it was interesting, there must be. Maybe other people would be interested. And that's how it organically started is, okay, well, social media, I can put that out for free. It's pretty easy to set up an account. Um, but I, was, I had so many nerves because I'm like, I don't have a martial arts background. 
don't have a law enforcement background, you know, spent one summer at, you know, adult summer camp getting my butt kicked. But, you know, so what are my credentials? There's not a degree for this. You know, I don't have executive protection background, but I, I questioned and I was curious and I wasn't afraid to say, I don't know. I don't get that. What does that mean? And then when they would tell me, I was like, well, God, this sounds like a lot of what we were studying from a business perspective or a corporate perspective on carrying yourself with confidence, how to walk into a room, how first impressions matter when you meet people, um, all these sorts of things. And I'm like, well, that's the same thing that they're saying over here with walking with intention when you're going down the street will also deter predators because they're looking for people who don't look like they know where they're going or they don't look confident, whatever it may be. And so I was kind of like, well, hey, they're saying the same things, but just to saying it a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so I'll translate. I'll be the decoder. I'll be, you know, I'll bring this up in a way that then maybe other women can relate to and go, oh, that makes sense to me. I got it. And the more I dug into it, the more those similarities I found is I'm like, it's not, when you get down to those principal skills, those foundational skills, it's not something crazy. It's actually <clears throat> basic, but it's how you explain it. Yeah. It's how you talk about it. It's the examples you use then whether or not somebody's going to relate or they're just going to look at you and be like, yeah, okay. yeah, I get it. Uh-huh. No, I don't have any questions. Yeah. So you spent several years or a, you know, a few years kind of researching and compiling data and uh, educating slash going to different training uh, seminars, interviewing uh, subject matter experts, et cetera. And it all kind of culminated to your book, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'd love to do, uh, you know, I've gone through it um, and I'd like to, kind of go through it um, and summarize each chapter, uh, not, sure. you know, so far in the weeds till we're just reading the book, but, <laughs> uh, but just kind of give a synopsis of, of what it's about and, and kind of hit the highlights if you're good with that. So I'll sure. uh, read the kind of from the table of contents standpoint and, and we'll just kind of go over it. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh, chapter one, uh, Daria's story is, is kind of, was that uh, I guess reading reading this or knowing about it was kind of the catalyst to, to help drive writing the book? No, actually, writing the book was out of frustration during the pandemic because I couldn't get out and teach. Mm. And, I couldn't, and then I was like, I'm just going to get a job. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to be in that threat assessment in helping keep people safe space. And because I didn't have the background, people were like, I'm going up against people who are retired from the FBI. So I'm get the fourth round and I'm not going to get picked. And I was like, Finally, the last one, I was like, if I don't get this job, I'm writing a book. I didn't get the job. Yeah. Um, but no, so that was very much like I knew I'm going to write a book and um, was working with a company. Like, well, you got you to gotta hook them with that first chapter. People will read the first chapter and decide whether they want to keep reading. And I was like, okay, but if someone uses good situational awareness and nothing happens, nothing happens. Yeah. And we don't know. Yeah. Um, and so that was, they were like, okay, we'll figure that out later. Just start writing. And a police chief um, from our area who knew what I was doing, who had been following me, reached out and said, hey, I, I have someone I want to introduce you to. He introduced me to this, the, to Daria. And he's like, or he met with me first, told me her story. And he's like, do you want to meet with her? And I was like, I would love to if she's open to it. She knows I'm married to a cop, right? And he's like, yep. And I was like, Okay. And so we connected and she told me her story and I was 
I mean, it was very impactful to me in the sense of I was like, wow. You know, you hear these stories or you get the snippets and articles and then to hear first person is, I mean, just breaks your heart. And so I asked her, can I use your story? Because so much of what she kept saying is there was all these things where, you know, he wasn't physically beating me. So there wasn't signed. And because of who he was in the community, a law enforcement officer, then it would be my word against his. He knew exactly the line that he could go up to and not cross and be just fine. And who was going to believe me? Like all of the the psychological um, torture or abuse that he put her through. And she was, yeah, she was, I'm not, I'm not ready to come out. In fact, she's technically still in hiding which is, it breaks my heart. Um, but she's like, you can tell the story, obviously change names. And so um, that's who I worked with because to me it's, okay, it doesn't, the whole point to me is situational awareness is like, we're trying to get way before they're even in a domestic abuse situation. So what are some of those really early warning signs? What are some of those things situationally aware uh, that you need to be situationally aware of to understand, okay, my something's off, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. But this is the person I'm supposed to be with and I don't want to get divorced. So I'm just going to go with it or sickness and health. Like how do I enforce my boundaries, but yet be in a relation. And so I loved, sounds so bad. I loved the complexity and the honesty and the real reality that she was dealing with and that she was willing to let me tell her story. Can you give us uh, a the Reader's Digest version of her story and b the the signs that she missed that you picked up and and now recommend to pay attention to? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's she was a headstrong. It's a lot of times I hear that so often, like, oh, it could never happen to this person. They're so they're such a strong, confident woman at work or man. You know, I don't want people to get upset at me. Yes, I know abuse happens to men too, um, and so to her some of the early signs when they were dating was she was viewed, he viewed her as a challenge. Like, I'm going to see if I can control her because she seemed so uncontrollable or she seemed so independent. And so it was little things of, no, no, let me do this for you. Let me take care of that. Or, or, you know, nope, I I've got this very, oh, well that's helpful. But to the point of he's planning her bachelorette, he's planning her bridal shower, like, no, you know, and when she would try and give input, it was very much like, no, 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 I want you to be the princess. I want you to relax. I will plan this all. Which, again, you're like, well, okay, that's that's nice, but that's a little odd. My fiancé planning my bachelorette. But, again, it was all those little things where she was like, huh, I can't quite put my finger on it. And overall, what it happened is those controlling, I'm in charge, I make the decisions – escalated and increased to the point where he had a contract that he made her and their kids sign. Like, you will do this. You won't do this. Um, One example in the book is he would come home and open the dishwasher and count how many dishes to see if she had had company. Like, her mom lived across the street but couldn't come over without first asking him for permission. And if so, then he preferred they sit outside. Or, and it's Minnesota, so it's not necessarily warm all year round. Yeah. Um, but very, you know, can't, if you go out, I'm going to be texting you all the time. Where are you? When are you coming home? What are you doing? All those type of things. And because it was the slow drip, you know, like, oh, but he's, he never beat her physically. 
Um, and the, the end, you know, it got to the point where he was holding the gun to her head, threatening to kill her. But again, not pistol whipping her, not doing whatever. It's the psychological. And thankfully, she had thought to turn on the recording device on her phone. And so she caught it all. And when her <clears throat> kids ran across the street, called 911, which is, again, the small town. He's, he's law enforcement in that town. And so it's like his boss showing up and fellow officer. And they separate him. And she gave the impression that the officer knew what was going on. Like, there was enough little hints that this officer was picking up on. Like, come on, just tell me the truth. And she's like, I can't. Because what, what are you going to do? It's, it's my word against his. I have nothing. And then she was like, and the officer said, you know it only gets worse. And that's when she decided to, to share the recording. And that's ultimately what led to it. But like I say in my book, in all the years she had dreamed of, of getting away, of, of breaking free, she imagined months, years. She had 48 hours before he was released. So now it's like, okay, I've now kicked the hornet's nest, made him super mad, and I have to go into hiding. And I can't talk to my friends. I can't talk to my support network. I can't tell them where I am. I have to be and so careful with everything. And so that's the reality of when people are like, why don't you just leave? It's like there's so much more to it than just that. And because of his resourcefulness, um, he had ways and means to try and track her down. Mm. He was an investigator. You know, he had those skills. He'd been trained. How do you find someone? And so for her, it be it was a nightmare. Yeah. That sure sounds like it. It's, uh, it's pretty dicey. Um, chapter two, the real enemy of women. Yep. What do you think? Um, Who is the real enemy of women? I think it's not trusting our gut. Yeah? Yeah. That's because, the number one thing. Yes, because we find in younger females... Or at kids in general, they have no filter. <laughs> They're going to tell you exactly what they think. They're going to tell you exactly how they feel, whether or not it's, you know, emotionally intelligent. They're at an age where they're trying to figure that out. The frontal lobe hasn't developed. And so kids are brutally honest. And they just instinctually know. I had a, a woman call me and tell me a story. And she's she said, 38 years ago this happened to me. And I just finally had the confidence to come forward and talk about it. And was that a result of reading your book? Um, I don't know if she'd read the book, but she'd been following and we'd known each other for a long time. But she said, I was four and I was molested by the male babysitter. And she goes, I didn't know how to tell it. I was four. But I hid in the bat locked myself in the bathroom the next time, the whole time. And then my parents just knew something is up and they went through it. And at the time, you know, again, that's that's her story to tell. But at the time, she was like, I was four. I didn't know how to articulate anything. All I knew was something was bad, and I don't want to be around this person. Yeah. And so to me, I think we instinctually have those survival skills of like, this is not good. But we don't know how to articulate it. And so we just react in ways. And, and if the people around us are like, why, why are you acting up? Why are you getting so ornery, whatever it may be, without taking a beat and going, well, this is a change in behavior. What's happened? What's changed? Then so, it can get missed. All right, guys. As you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, coffee has is is been a staple of mine and, and I think most people's for a long time. 
Um, as you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Mudwater, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been uh, for a while now, and, and we have a great partnership. I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Um, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of the caffeine that coffee has. There's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on, on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use lion's mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee. And I'll put uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder. Um, and I'll also throw uh, usually a couple drops of uh, stevia or uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick, normal morning coffee ritual type of uh, concoction. And uh, I got to tell you, it, it, it does wonders for me, and, and I'm really, really glad that I switched. It's been, you know, a better part of a year now, uh, you know, that I've been taking that uh, and using that as part of my uh, daily morning routine, and it's fantastic. I love it. I, I can't re recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100% USDA, uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified, uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is uh, – you know, groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and, and uh, syndrome. So uh, great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's M-U-D-W-T-R.com forward slash Mike to su support this show and the product uh, and use the code Mike Mud, M-I-K-E-M-U-D, all caps for 15% off. That's again, Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com forward slash Mike. And the code is Mike Mud, M-I-K-E-M-U-D, all caps for 15% off. Go check them out. So what would, you, what would your advice be to a woman that says, okay, I need to trust my gut. Something feels off. I'm not even sure what it is. What the fuck do I do about it? Context matters. Um, I always just say, take a, unless it's a true fear signal of like, okay, my, my spine's tingling, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up, then I just say, get out, get away, whatever. Again, context matters. Get to safety type thing. So whether you're in an environment and somebody in the space's behaviors is, is making you super uncomfortable, but otherwise our intuition is, and I love um, Gavin DeBecker puts it in his book, Gift of Fear, always in response to something, and it always has our best interest in mind. So I like to say, it's not your prankster, annoying little brother, picking on you, jumping out from behind the corner. It's not scaring you intentionally or, un, you know, it's not faking you out, so to speak. Psych. It's, hey, something in your environment's off and I'm thinking of your safety first. Yeah. So I need you to pay more attention. So when people say, well, something's off, I'm like, just pay more attention to what's off. What about it? What, and get curious as long as you can stay safe. Um, and in my trainings a lot to break down because right away we have a tendency to go into like worst case scenarios, especially as females. And we're like thinking about it being attacked. I'm like, your taste buds, you know, your sense of taste. Have you ever drank spoiled milk? 
I'm amazed at how many people, by the way, have drank expired <laughs> milk because I usually get about half the class like, oh yeah, I drank. Okay. I didn't realize that was such a prominent thing, yeah. but I'm like your intuition immediately before you can, you have it in your mouth, your taste buds are like, something's wrong. It's spitting it out almost naturally. So quick. That's your intuition. It's the same thing. It's a sur basic survival skill. It, it has your best intentions or, you know, best interest in mind. And it's, reacting to something it's reacting to spoiled milk so don't overthink it don't overcomplicate it would you say or i guess i, I would ask um why do you think so many people because i don't think it's just women uh but mm. you know in, in this context why do you think so many women ignore that um and don't don't listen to it i think because it gets second guessed a lot of times are you sure you saw that shadowy figure when you were walking you sure they were following you? Maybe they just had a car parked next to you. Um, Maybe you watched too many true crime episodes. <laughs> right, you're listening to too many um, murder mister or murder yeah. podcasts, whatever true crime. Um, but so often, though, and right about in my perspective, and I'm sure there's studies, and I've read lots of them, and I can't cite them all. So, um, you know, I'm I'm happy if anybody wants to question me. Go ahead and look them up. In that middle school to high school age. Is there, they're still like got a little bit of the spitfire in them, you know, but they get a sense of offness from someone. That's when the hormones are hitting, puberty is hitting, and you know, what Hollywood sells us is romantic, is persistence, or what what seems okay, but if, it, if I'm not okay with it, that's okay. But, oh, you're just being uptight. Oh, you're probably overreacting. You're reading too much into it. It's second guessed. Yeah. And... Those behaviors are really, if we're not taught how to articulate them, or just to say it doesn't matter if you're okay with, you know, sarcasm, I'm not. Or if you're okay with those type of jokes, I'm not. It's okay to say that's not okay with me and that's my boundary and let it go. But that's where it'll get pushed around at that age. And I, I think, and it continues to happen, so it's not like it's only at that age, but then we leave our safety bubble of high school where we've probably grown up with these people. We probably know their relatives, probably know a lot more about their past, and then we're thrust into the world. And everyone's a stranger, right? And so for our whole life, we've been told, don't talk to strangers versus pay attention to these behaviors. Well, now everyone's a stranger. And those behaviors can be displayed by people we know. So it can get really confusing and so that's where it's you don't always know why your intuition is going off because it happens so fast going going back to blank Malcolm Gladwell's book or heuristics but something's off yeah and so learning to trust your intuition and say you know what I just I, I don't feel like going out right now or I, I'm going to take this route to work today or I'm going to go running on this path today yeah. Which is a, a good segue into chapter three, which is what is situational awareness anyway? So um, when I started, that was always my question. What is situational awareness? What do you mean? And to me, it's, I define it as using all of your senses and your intuition to observe your surroundings. Okay? So just observing. We're not looking for danger. We're just being observant. And then it's noticing when something is off. So what, what's there and shouldn't be kind of like the anomaly baseline conversation? What's, what just seems like it shouldn't be there or should be there and it's missing? And then what does that mean to your safety? Well, you know, is there danger? Is there not? 
may not be. And then doing, taking action to preserve your safety. So whatever that means, it could be, gosh, I don't know, you know, I'm walking down the street and someone's coming and their behavior, the way they're walking, I'm just going to step into the store or I feel like I'm maybe being followed. So I'm going to go left instead of right, or I'm going to go to a more public area. If they don't keep following you, great. But if they do, it's better to err on the side of caution. Yeah. So it's trying to not always go straight to, you're going to die if you don't do this. Let's have a real conversation. Yeah. One thing that um, I guess I think of when people bring that term up or, or even ask me about it is, is kind of using uh, context to drive your level of alertness and situational awareness. You know, not, not having the same level of guard down and comfort that you would on your couch while you're filling up your gas tank, you know, is, is that anytime you're, you're moving from one environment to another, do a, a really quick kind of mental press check of what's the environment I'm going in, how public is it, how potentially dangerous is it, like the, the more open and, uh, you know, less safe that, that it potentially may be, the more I need to not be staring at my phone and, and daydreaming as to, you know, whatever, and kind of use that as a driving force to at least say, okay, like, it's 1030 at night, I'm at a gas station, you know, I, I should probably pay closer attention than staring at Facebook and, you know, whatever, while I'm filling up being oblivious to what's around me. But um, from a, uh, I guess from the book standpoint, uh, is there, I guess, a classical definition or, or one that you would uh, prescribe to as it relates to defining situational awareness? No. I, I don't uh, classical in the sense everything that I found is is typically more of has the mil, comes from the military law enforcement perspective so it can get to me confusing yeah and or, so I'm trying to yeah I'm trying to simplify it of of situational awareness isn't always looking for a threat because being situationally aware might also mean you you see more sunrises you notice more sunsets you you notice the trees blooming whatever it may be. And so trying to get down to even you talking about, okay, I'm at a gas station, you're running this checklist in your head. So try sometimes when we're like, okay, we'll just think about this, this, and this. And so then people are in an environment thinking of a checklist, but they're looking for danger versus, and when we get nervous, when our adrenaline goes up, you know, tunnel vision, our hearing cuts down. So it's like, how can I keep you calm and be like, hey, it's not so much about the checklist. How about you look around? Just look around. Because, again, a, a predator watching a prey is like, oh, they're paying attention. They're not on their phone. I'm going to wait for somebody not paying attention. And it's, it's breaking down into those little steps that when you get good at it, you do it at a subconscious level, it's really hard to talk about. Yeah. Like, oh, no, just do this. But it's, it's building these skills, giving confidence instead of overwhelming of like, oh, my gosh, if I, don't, if I do five of the six steps, I'm going to get attacked. Yeah. I got to do them all. And then you're constantly stressed and yeah. on high alert. Yeah. No, it's a great point for sure. Um, chapter four, am I being followed? Depends on how good they are, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, that's a fear a lot of women have shared with me is, oh, what if I'm being followed? What if in the parking lot, in the parking ramp, um, on a trail? I mean, the amount of... T- stories that are out there about women being attacked while out for a run or out for a walk are 
unfortunately too regular. And so that is a real concern comes up. How do I, how do I tell if I'm being followed? What can I do? And so talking about reflective surfaces, you know, and it's not always a mirror, <laughs> but it could be your phone. Be like, pretend you're taking a selfie, but then you can use it to see behind you. Um, you know, when you're standing at a, in the pandemic days, when you're standing at a counter and the plastic sheets are all hanging down, you could actually use that to see behind you. Um, it doesn't have, or just look over your shoulder. You can do that too. And so it's, it's trying to think of, okay, in your everyday life, look for reflective surfaces and make it fun. Yeah. Make it a game. I'm not making light of being followed, but if you are, here's some ways you can handle it. Or like the, the example I use in the book, you can turn around and ask him, can I help you? Yeah. Are you following me? Because if they're not, they're going to be like, oh, I am so sorry. I did not mean to make you feel that way. Because most of popul- most of humanity is good and kind. And, and so not following you. And not following you. So if you do, it's a non-issue. Yeah. But if they were and had bad intentions, you're going to be really glad that you chose to do that because then they're going to, by their response to your question, you're going to know. Yeah. And now you're going to know, oh, wait, something's up. I need to. Yeah. Take the next step, whatever yeah. it may be. No, it's great advice. Uh, I'm going to combine chapter five and six because I think um, it, it just they kind of synergize that way. Uh, it's I don't want to be rude, and persistence is not always a good thing. And I'll I'll kind of caveat it or pretext it with it's something I've run into, um, you know, in, in trying to raise two daughters and and you know hearing their kind of explanations of. You know, if I say, well, you know, did this not stand out as being maybe a little over the top? Or you're like, well, I just, you know, he's just, he's a nice guy. It's like guys aren't inherently nice, you know, to, <laughs> to, to women for no fucking reason. I mean, most of the time, like there, there's of course examples. I mean, there's times where I'm, I'm nice. You know, there's times where, where any guy is nice, but there's where I think, you know, your point of the, of the context playing such a role. It's like, like if he reaches out to you and, and is almost bugging you to help you. It's not because he's a nice fucking guy. You know, he, he wants something from you. Um, and the persistence is not always a good thing too. Like I'm right there with you in the kind of the almost Hollywood fairy tale of, um, not that this is a, du- a direct uh, correlation, but it's like the 50 shades of gray thing. If that dude's broke, he's a fucking predator. Yes. Oh, I use that example all the you time. Know, like, and, and so, yeah, there, there's some, I think mixed messages that come from, uh, our pop culture as it relates to, you know, what, what's desirable or not. And I think it, it, it really, uh, leads, um, you know, young women down the, the wrong road of, of expectations. But so if you can kind of combine the, I don't want to be rude and persistence is not always a good thing. Um, the, the, I don't want to be rude. I'll start with that. I hear that often from women. Well, they started a conversation while we were standing in line at the coffee shop and I didn't want to talk to them, but I didn't want to be rude. Okay. But if you weren't, looking at them or making eye contact or saying hi you're but on your phone figuring out your order or whatever if they're interrupting you that's actually what's rude and so keeping that perspective of if um i'll share this example i had a, a friend who had gone through a divorce and so she's single not dating yet but her daughter um was on the same volleyball team of another girl who's Dad was also single and been going through, was going through a divorce. And she had left the game early, whatever, had stuff to do. And he called, like, trying to be really kind. Like, hey, you just looked upset when you were leaving the game tonight. 
I want to check and see if everything's okay. And she's like, eh, everything's okay. It's fine. You know, I just, it's been a long day. I haven't eaten yet. I'm going to go get some food, run home. And he keeps talking. Well, do you want me to come over and, and talk? You know, do you need to talk? She's like, no. no, no, Dr. Phil, I don't No, I need food. I need to, you know, let my dog out, whatever. And, and this carried on, like he wouldn't get off the phone, but she's like, I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to be like, bye, and hang up. And I was like, okay. So she's telling the story. And she gets her food, gets home, pulls into her garage, gets out, you know, and she's got her laptop bag and her purse and the food. The dog's barking in the house. And there's dude sitting at the end of her driveway. Yeah. So even though she had said, no, I don't want company. No, don't come over. No, I'm good. He's still then. And then she stood there and talked to him. And again, this is nothing against her, but her thing was, I didn't want to be rude. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not rude. You told him numerous times that you didn't want him to come over, and he did. So that's actually rude. But it's changing that perspective because right away it's like, oh, well, I'll be a bitch if I say anything. I'll be viewed as, you know, snooty or too good for them if I don't accommodate. And it's like, no, yeah. actually not. Can you do a chapter 5.5, it's okay to be a bitch? Yeah, sure. Should. We probably should. Be a good one. You know, and, and that too is subjective. Well, I don't want to be a bitch. Well, what, what do you think is being a bitch? Yeah. Standing up for yourself? You can be nice and be direct. Yeah. Being direct isn't rude. Yeah. So uh, Does that fall into the persistence is not always a good thing, that being that same example? It, yeah, yeah, that falls into I mean, yeah. if anyone's watched the I Am a Stalker on Netflix series, it's, it's just very much like that, again... Hollywood, we'll just call it Hollywood, portrays that as, oh, then they must really be interested in you. And I will say this, is that message gets sent to young men. You know, I thought of it with my kids as how, it's like, oh, no, even if they tell you, you know, with elderly neighbors, okay, go pick up sticks in the yard, whatever. No, 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 we don't want you to pick up sticks. It's fine, totally fine. What would we say? No, you do that. You do that. You be kind for someone. You go help them out, even if they told you no. So it's this weird, like, oh, God, I never thought of that. Because raising two boys, I have that perspective now. Oh. It's like, well, how, how, is the, how could this be misinterpreted of, you know, even my boys now? How many times do I tell my kids, stop beating on each other, yeah. leave each other alone? And they're like, ah, whatever. And I'm like, yeah. no, if somebody says, no, they don't want to be tickled, no, they don't, you know, whatever, that's, you have to respect that. Yeah. Even though your boy is beating on each other, and I'm totally for that kind of, like, physicality roughhousing yeah i gotta be careful with the messaging no i I agree um and that needs to be you know across the board but you know both ways Mm -hmm. uh is that your final answer (laughs) yes it is yeah Yeah, chapter (laughs) chapter seven that's your final answer yes the the whole no no thank you and then ask you again and ask you again it's it's which is always funny when i first read uh, gavin becker's gift of fear because i had come from some of that sales background, I was like, oh my God, I've done these things to people. I'm a horrible person. You know, in sales 101, get seven no's to get to the eighth yes. It's like, yeah, when you're trying to sell a car. Yeah. But when it comes to personal boundaries, no. And so the whole, if that's what you want, don't change your mind. Like if you don't want them to come over, don't want to have a conversation, don't let their, their, are you sure? Are you sure? Change your mind. Yeah. So if that's your final answer, let it be your final. Let answer. it be. Uh, and I think this it kind of all goes almost sequential in, in looking at the chapters. What's my obligation? Mm-hmm. 
I think that's a big one where um, kind of in that same vein of I don't want to be rude is that there's like a, a tying of, well, I feel obligated to help or entertain or not be an asshole or, or what, what have you. Yes. A lot of times um, the caretaking nature gets played. Uh, that tends to, to be stronger in women. Well, I want to take care of someone. Oh, they just need a shoulder. They just need someone to talk to. And so those, man, you know, manipulators, they'll try and find the hooks. Okay. She doesn't want to go on a date with me. She doesn't want to hang out with me. So let um, me make her feel sorry for me. Like, I yeah. Need yeah. Oh, I just need someone to talk to or, Hey, you're in this career field and I could use some advice. And then you're like, well, maybe they do really need financial advice. I don't know. Yeah. And so then it's the hook. Well, are you obligated? No. Just because they asked you. Yeah. Yes, I get it. Be yeah. kind, be nice. But you can tell the difference between when they're fishing yeah. and, and when they're honestly asking for input or yeah. advice. Well, I think a, a good litmus or gatekeeper mechanism for that is if that's what you do for a living, charge people. Yeah. You know, just be like, hey, can I get some advice? Yeah, you can. Sign up for this, you know, $100 an hour Zoom one-on-one -on -one lesson and, I, and I'll give you all the fucking advice I can in an hour. And just be direct that way. Like, yeah, I'm happy to help, but this is what I do for a living. Like, I don't right. go to your job and ask you for free shit uh, or, or to do your job for free because I, I need help. Uh, it's the same same thing. I think to pinpoint like one litmus to, um, to keep that kind of angle in check is, uh, is that, you know, especially if it's what you do for a living, you know, if women out there are nutritionists or, mm -hmm. you know, trainers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you name it. It's like, Oh, Hey, my, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, yeah, I can see what you mean. Like that's an easy in to like, okay, this is a, a valid reason for me to be talking to this person. And, and then they try to use that to, uh, you know, further whatever, but, uh, and, and not to interrupt you, excuse me, but women bullshit. use that <laughs> women yeah. use that on each other too. Yeah. Like that, that's one thing. Um, when Daria read the book, she was like, obviously, it's my life story a little bit. Um, but she said, I still blew me away because when you talked about it from like a friendship basic or like a female to female, she's like, oh, shit, I had never thought of that. I had always thought in, again, men are the enemy or it's the men abusing women. And it's like, no, no, no. If we focus on behaviors, we get back to it. Pretty soon you can see your obligation. Do you have the one friend who, you know, is always is is draining? And I hate to say this, but it's true. She's always calling and just complaining about the world and nothing is ever okay and nothing ever goes right, but there's no personal responsibility. It's like, that's the same thing. You yeah. do not have an obligation to spend two hours of your precious time every night or all the time. You can have an emotional boundary with that person too, yeah. even though it's your friend. Yeah, for sure. And, and that, to me, I want to reiterate, like that goes both ways too. You know, there's certainly examples of women doing that to men where it's, uh, you know, the, the kind of roles are reversed or, you know, men doing it to men professionally or women to women, you know, professionally or friendship wise or, or whatever. So it's not just in the context of, of men trying to be sleazy, mm -hmm. sliding into the DMs of, <laughs> of some woman that they're trying to hook up with or whatever, but um, turning the tables. Mm -hmm. See, and this is where I'm like, okay, got to give me a scenario context. I, I, a lot of times it's turning the tables I think of two ways is you can always, well, why are you asking that? So turn that conversation around, um, get curious with them, 
ask them a question back because they're not expecting that. They're expecting you to feel obligated to answer yes or no, give an excuse, give a reason, whatever. And I also say the turn the tables is how good are you at respecting other people's boundaries? Um, you know, I talk, I share the story, my youngest, he has a, a very wide palate. Like he loves mushroom and spinach pizza. And, you know, I, of course, I'm doing my whole, like, okay. And he's nine? Yeah. yeah oh, wild. no, he loves mussels. That's weird. He eats, he loves seafood. That's he's, awesome. He, I know, it's totally, I love it. And also cuts into my food plate, usually. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, oh, I'm going to eat this healthy food. He's eating his delicious smelling pizza. And I was like, hey, buddy, can I have a slice of pizza? And he's like, mom, I love you, but no. <laughs> and I would, you know, and I wanted to do the whole, I paid for that fucking pizza. You live in my house. You're eight, you know? And, and at the same time, I was like, hold up. Pizza's yeah. not life for death. That's him enforcing a boundary. Do yeah. I need to eat the pizza? No. Do I want to? Yes. And then my husband, of course, was like, I'm going to get him to do it. My husband was like, hey, buddy, can I have a piece of pizza? And he's like, no. Yeah. Not even that. <laughs> not even. No, no. He was, he's more gentle. Yeah. He loves his mother. That's awesome. So speaking of, uh, of morning routine and really throughout the day, you know, health and fitness and overall well-being is something that uh, I focus on as I get older. I get more and more kind of in tune with what works and what doesn't. Um, <clears throat> and I recently started working with uh, Ketone IQ which is hvmn.com. Uh, um, this product is, uh, is a really, really good way to start the day, uh, as well as basically just anytime you need uh, a boost from an energy standpoint, uh, you're getting ready to do something physically demanding, mentally demanding. Uh, you know, before I record, I take a shot. First thing in the morning I do before workouts uh, to recover after workouts. Um, you know, I, I take it multiple times a day, um, and it's, I mean, there's no sugar, it's vegan, there's no caffeine, there's no salt, gluten, no artificial flavors or sweeteners. Uh, and it, it works from a, a ketogenic standpoint, uh, giving your brain and body the fuel uh, that it needs to do tasking um, uh, tasks. So, you know, it, it's a phenomenal product, uh, an amazing company. That's HVMN.com. And the code is mic drop, all one word, all caps for 20% off. Uh, I can't recommend this product enough for... Um, again, getting going in the morning, uh, pre-workout, post-workout, uh, you're tired in the afternoon. Uh, it's a, a super healthy way to feed your brain and your body from that uh, kind of glycogen replenishment standpoint that, uh, that tends to crash a lot of people when they're using caffeine products or carb products, et cetera. So uh, I love this stuff. Uh, I use it uh, several times throughout the day, uh, and I encourage you guys to, to check it out as well. It's uh, hvmn.com. And that code is mic drop for 20% off all caps, all one word. Yeah. Is, is there a, um, an example that, I mean, if you can provide the context and an example of turning the table that, um, that's either something common or that, that you've seen before. You mean in turning the tables in the conversation in any way, I guess that, that you would say, here's an example of that. So that, if you find yourself in a situation like this, here's how I would handle it. Okay, so I will set this up with we, um, I'm a talker. Like, I will talk your ears off for as long as you want. That's not always the safest thing to do when you're traveling. But I'm curious about people. So the turning the tables for me, without giving away a lot of information, like, hey, are you from here? Are you here for work? How long are you staying? All these questions that seem small talk when you're traveling, especially for um, women is, okay, we'll turn the tables. Ask them the questions. You know, I, I mentioned meeting um, 
my my mentor on an airplane when he kind of came to the rescue and threw my family a lifeline, giving me a job. Um, we had sat next to each other on an airplane, and he starts asking lots of questions. And as soon as someone's asking me questions, and especially the first time I've met him, I try and turn around and ask and talk about them, or I find out something they're interested in, and get them talking. Yeah, and because it's not that I want to be rude. But I also don't know you. I'm not going to give away a lot of information about myself. But I want to have a conversation and be a kind person. And most people like talking about themselves. Yeah. So we were on this, and it was two legs and a plane um, sat next to each other. But he talked about himself the whole time. And not, and not in a bad way. Like I was, oh, tell me more about that. Okay, tell me about this. Tell me about this charity you created. Tell me and it was a great conversation. And like I said, led to him being my mentor. Yeah. But once I came to work for him, he was like, first time I met Kelly, she was the most fascinating person I met. And I was like, I didn't say a yeah, word. I asked you. I asked you. So that turning the tables, because a lot of time, it's amazing. And this sounds horrible, but um, what information people will give you by just asking a couple of questions. You can find yeah. out where they went to school. Yeah. You know, what their social security number is. Pretty much. Oh, wait, you know, you have this uncle and. Yeah. What their bowel movement that morning was like. (laughs) No, uh, the, uh, to me, there's a second part to that too is that if, if there is ill intentions and you do that, I think you find out very quickly that they're, they're there for the wrong reasons or they're trying to talk to you for potentially nefarious reasons because they're not going to want to talk to them about themselves and they're going to get keep frustrated and keep trying to, you yep. know, and when you stonewall them, it's just going to piss them off and they'll be like, fuck it. I'm not talking to them. I actually have a video <clears> that <throat> someone shared with me, um, which I love. I love when my followers are like, Hey Kelly, did you see this? Talk about this. Um, and it was a young female in what looks like a clothing store and some dudes coming up to her trying to talk to her and you can tell she doesn't want to talk to him, but she doesn't want to be rude, but she's uncomfortable. And he's asking these personal, more personal line questions. And as much as she's like, being short with him. No, yes, no, not interested. No, thank you. He keeps asking. And so that's a great video of like, she did great, not, not falling into, let me have this conversation. And if you feel like you're stuck and you don't, you don't have to stay there. If you turn and walk away and you're like, Oh my God, this feels so awkward walking away from someone as they're talking to me again you're not being, they're being rude by interrupting you yeah. and be, you can look at clothes and not be interrupted and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. So, so let's focus on what society says is rude and what's not rude. Yeah. I mean, ultimately who gives a shit? Yeah. Right? You're never going to, that's why I always say I'm awesome at enforcing boundaries with strangers because I'll never see you again. I don't care. Yeah. It's it, which again, where it gets sticky is, the acquaintance, the coworker that's inappropriate that you have to go, are you going to yeah. leave your job? The fucking boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a whole nother can of worms probably. Yep. And that's, and that's where it's like, yes, I'd love to throat punch you right now, but that's going to be assault and yeah. I'm going to get charged and yeah. lose my job. And yeah. Do I, so, I mean, that's probably one of the more prominent, really tough situations that I could see a woman finding herself in is, um, is a, a job or you know, career employment, what have you, where it's, it's a, somebody in a, in a position of authority above her that's doing these things. And so now she's worried about losing her job or, or whatever. It, do you have a recommendation? Is it, is it just be more nuanced in, in boundary setting or, or what? You know, and, and I chuckle because I think about my own experiences and you, you do, you feel stuck. Um, what can I do? Was that like my husband and I always talk about what is sexual assault? 
what is inappropriate. Because what's inappropriate for one person might not be for the next. It's foreplay for the next. <laughs> right. Yeah. And or how can you, you, the laws, like there's the spirit of the law, there's the letter of the law. And so often law enforcement gets caught like, I get it. That sucks. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And there's really nothing we can do, which they don't want to say that, but they, they can't. Like they're not false accusations. And again, that's a whole nother podcast, whole nother conversation. But for me, it's, it's very much calling it out. Um, I think I shared it in the book, but I had a, a situation where, you know, sitting watching football at a, a hotel lobby bar while we're both traveling and I'm getting into the game and I'm cheering or whatever and I'm getting excited and he reaches over and starts rubbing the back of my neck and I'm like, wait, is that, you know, did I froze. I was like, wait, what's happening right now? And he put his hand away and then it was like nothing. But after that, I was like, what, what just happened? And that really wasn't appropriate, but in it wasn't appropriate. But so, and that was, you know, whatever at the conference, but now I'm stuck at the conference with you the whole time riding in Ubers. I'm having to act like nothing, act happened. Like nothing happened. Did you act like nothing happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did until when we got home and then I said, hey, that was not okay with me. Don't, and you could see the uncomfortableness. Oh, well, what, I'm, you know, I thought you were getting really upset. I'm like, I was watching a football game. Yeah. I was getting excited. But calling it out in a calm manner. Yeah, at that moment, I probably would have been over emotional. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, yeah, you're my boss. <laughs> um, but calling it out and doing it in a private manner, not necessary. And this is where I go, yes. Do you want to do something in a more public space and call them out? Yes. Is that going to give you the best outcome for you? Probably not. I had the personal one-on-one conversation in private. And after that, it was very much like I've drawn a hard boundary. Was there and there any- was no conversation. After that, in a bad way about it, it was yeah. kind of like, because I also taught him, or that sounds bad. I didn't teach him, but I showed him, I communicated, I will say something yeah. and I will say it and I will be very direct and then we can move on. Was there any fallout? I don't know. I mean, eventually I wasn't working there anymore, but it was kind of one of those like, to me, the there was no fallout in what you are you going to do? So I'm going to fucking fire you or right. stonewall your promotion or yeah. give you and, the, and, the shitty tasks or whatever. And those are all... Um, things that people have to think about. And I get that it's, but never be afraid to stand up for yourself in a direct and polite way, like taking out the emotions of things saying that's not okay with me. We're good. Don't do it again. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, again, I'm not naive to, Hey, you just got this job and that's the only one you have and you got bills to pay and, and you're worried about getting fired. But I think obviously everybody has to make their own decision for how much they're willing to compromise, uh, in terms of putting up with that shit. But I would say, I I think a good, um, kind of happy medium is to say like, handle it the way you handled it. And if there is fallout, like there's got to come a certain point where you say like, do I want to work for somebody like that? You know, like to me, the answer should be fucking no, is that if they do something, you know, whether maybe they didn't think it was inappropriate and you did. And then like once that line is drawn at that point, like anything past it now is intentional. Mm -hmm. And so now they're disrespecting you. They're disrespecting your, your wishes, your, your boundaries. And so at that point it's like, yeah, if you're stuck and and you've got no other fucking choice, like I'd still rather not have a, a job than, than work for somebody that I felt that uncomfortable around. But, and sometimes helping what I've found is, um, 
women will, will send me messages or call me or reach out to me because they don't want to be public. So I'll, I'll get these like private messages and talking through it. Yeah. They know the answer. They, they need to hear someone say, you're right. Yeah. I'm validating your feelings and not in a bad way. I'm not trying to be condescending, but it's very yeah. much because we're questioning all these societies of like, oh, was that bad? Was that not bad? Am I going to be believed? It's going to be easy. It's like, that all doesn't matter. Did you, do you feel comfortable? Okay. And now going forward might not be a bad idea to brush up your resume yeah. so that if, if it does happen again, you're ready to take action. Like I told you that was not okay. Here's my two weeks. See you later. Yeah. I think, you know, a really, really key and important point that you brought up that, that has two, I think, critical components to it is one, wait until you're not emotional about it and two, do it in private. Cause if you're emotional and you embarrass a, a superior, a you know, a coworker that's positional authority wise above you and in, in front of a bunch of other people, like they're, they're I mean, you're kind of putting them in a corner where they're probably going to do something fucking stupid or, or retaliatory or, retro- or it's going to be the, he said, she said, I didn't do that. Yeah. You're fucking crazy. You know? And, and uh, right. Yeah. yeah. You grabbed my ass. <laughs> uh, sharp kids. Yeah. That's one thing I get, which is always ironic to me, which a lot of times it starts out, people reach out and say, I need your book for my daughter. I need your book for my kids. I mean, how can I help my kids? Um, because I'm a female, people, you know, women, we want to protect our kids. I just posted about this, talking about the mama bear thing. Like, that is completely, I can rip your throat out. And, and people be like, oh, you're protecting your kids. Good job, mom. You're such a good mom. But if I do that to defending myself, society's like, do you yeah. think you went a little far? Yeah. So w- women are very much like, how do I protect my kids? And that's completely okay. And I'm going to have this conversation. And they're like, but I don't want to scare them. And so how do we talk to our kids? How can we start building these skills um, in a fun way, in a playful way? And so that's probably the number one question I get. How do I teach my kids? How do I talk to them? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the threats to their safety are coming online. So it's coming younger. It's getting younger. And it's in your um, house. It's yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it, it's, and you think, Oh, I think this is safe. And you're like, wait, does it have a chat? Yeah. What kind of, what's going on in the chat? And so the thing, how do we have these conversations? And I always remind people is let them lead the conversation. Let your kids lead the conversation and their curiosity because that'll tell you where they're at. You know, my kids might say, well, mom, what does this mean? What do you think it means? Like I, in the book I share, my oldest was like, mom, I know the difference between men and women. I was like, oh, okay. Good, because I don't. Shit. You know, hey, maybe you can have a conversation yeah. with some people that are in the media. Yeah. Um, and it, he and I was like, oh, buddy, what do you think it is? And he's like, you know, women have long hair and, and men don't because my <laughs> husband's bald. And I was like, you're right, buddy. Sometimes that's, that's the case. And that was fine for him. So, you know, another time he's like, mom, what does homeless mean? Oh, you know, right away my head goes like Wikipedia. Okay, so this, how am I? And then I was like, well, wait a minute. What, why are you asking, buddy? Oh, because the guy in the corner is holding the sign. Yeah. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, well, let's look it up, you know, on our handy dandy Wikipedias or our dictionaries right here. It's like somebody without a house. Oh, okay. Makes sense to them. Because when you start elaborating or depend, and this is what I always say is really cool to turn the tables on yourself. What did you think when I said homeless? What was the description that came to your mind? And that's where you can see maybe some of your biases. Where, where did that come from? Why do I think 
it's all this. Why did I automatically put this association with the word homeless? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And so doing that self-awareness is that's going to help you too of why with your intuition sends you a message saying something's off. Why are you scared of that? Have you ever experienced that? Have, or did somebody tell you you should be scared of that? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And I think it's, it's good for everybody to re self evaluate on a regular basis. uh, You know, any potential bias they might have uh, in every way. Uh, One of the things that, you know, kind of delving further into the into the kids safety thing that I think is, for, at least from my both perspective and experience is key is is those conversations are a lot more powerful and uh, insightful for them than than trying to control, um, you know, and, and, you know, teaching them that trust your gut, self-awareness, um, situational awareness, does this seem off? you know, asking them questions so that they can make those decisions. Because I can tell you, again, from experience, um, tr- like trying to keep them away from that stuff is, is impossible. Um, if they, if, unless you homeschool them and you live off the grid and you control every second of their day, like if they go to a, I won't even say a public school, especially a public school, but even a, a private charter school, whatever, like there's still other kids with phones there, there's internet access, and to me, it's better that they have an understanding that that stuff exists and, and how to ask yourself, like, hey, wait a minute. Like, does this seem okay, normal, safe, et cetera? There was a, an example here in Dallas, I think it was last year, where this teenage girl, I think she was 15, 14, 15, maybe younger, uh, 12 maybe. Fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> you know, but she um, basically had had been chatting with this um was supposed to be a, a teenage boy her age, uh, maybe even a girl, I don't remember, but it was a very innocuous uh, representation of who she was chatting with, and that wasn't who, who she was chatting with, kind of the, the typical grooming. The catfishing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, had, had basically convinced her to get her dad to take her to a Dallas Mavericks basketball game and meet up with this person at the bathroom at halftime. And so she asked her dad, hey, you know, I'd love to go to a game with you misrepresents it, you know, gets her dad to take her to a basketball game so that when they're there, links up with this person and they fucking kidnapped her. Um, they, they managed to, uh, to recover her within a few days, I think. But that whole scenario, it's just like, if that doesn't fucking terrify you, you know, somebody's ability to, to over, you know, kind of time and, and slow rolling a, a grooming relationship to get your own child to basically con you as a parent into going and doing something so that they can meet up with somebody that you're completely oblivious to is fucking scary. Um, you know, and to me the, like you can try to put, you know, all of these controls and, and parental access to devices, but I can tell you, like if they go to school, Hey, can I borrow your phone quick? Yep. Like it's a fucking prison network at school and, and kids are on each other's phones and they, they figure out ways around parental controls at, you know, on school Wi-Fi networks or they're bringing hotspots that have, older brothers sold them. I mean, there's a million fucking examples of, of ways around all of these things. And I think, you know, the point I'm trying to bring up is, is having that, those conversations with them to try to teach them these skills as early as possible so that they identify the dangers and it's not us trying to, to micromanage that is really important. I think you bring up a really good point too is you're not always going to be there. Yeah. When they go off to college, when they go off, spread their wings – 
you're not, you shouldn't be a helicopter parent. You can't be. You're going to drive yourself nuts yeah. if and that's how you, if you're trying to control because you can't. Yeah, and it does them a disservice because yeah. now they're woefully underprepared once once you're not there. You know, I mean, it's it's even worse. Um, well, and you're talking about when you went up north camping or uh, for that week when you were 16. It's like, yeah, I can't imagine. I drove when I was 18 or 19 out west to Seattle, road tripped with a girlfriend of mine, hop, skipped, and jumped. And, uh, you know, I, but I had, instead of saying, don't do that, it was very much like, here's how you read an atlas. Yeah. <laughs> Way back then, here's how you read an atlas. Here's how you count mileage to figure out where you're going to have to stop for gas, you know, blow all these different things. And give kids those skills because you're only going to give them so many more opportunities. To me, there's so many cool people out there, so many cool adventures, so many great places to see. And if you've only stoked the fires of fear in them, yeah. they're going to miss out on some of those cool things. Yeah. Amen. Uh, vehicle safety. Mm. Yes. So um, I grew up as a car geek. My dad was a big influence in my life. Uh, when it came to cars. And so I love everything about it, you know, and have always been interested in studying about cars, whatever it may be. And I didn't realize that was unusual (laughs) until I got more into my adult years. And there's so much with vehicle safety because typically women are mom taxis, right? So you're hauling, and you're not, you're hauling other kids too, but it's real simple things like locking your door automatically when you get in your vehicle changing your auto unlock so they stay locked when you put it in park that can Im- improve or increase your chances of safety and yes it seems annoying at first but when carjackings went through the roof after the pandemic okay what do i do well, how do i handle that because typically women well where do i go to ask my vehicle questions you yeah. know we already there's already already an intimidation factor if something doesn't sound right in the car yeah. no i swear it's making the sound and it doesn't make the sound for anyone else. Typically. Yeah. So talking about, the, I wanted to, hey, hey, I'm going to broach this subject. Defensive driving skills. Why you park this way? So often it's back into parking spots. Okay. When I go to grocery shop for my two growing boys, I can't, <laughs> I need to pull in regularly to get all the groceries in the back of the car. So don't just tell me, no, no, you should be parking backwards. How can I do this safer? You know, what are things I can do in my vehicle? Just explain it in a way. Let's talk on, about it in a way that doesn't seem intimidating or you don't make me feel stupid because I don't know, you know, that blinkers don't need fluid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, muffler belts. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> hey, that's how you hold them up sometimes yeah. when they're going to fall. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> turn, turn the uh, questions back on them, right? Right. Uh, wh- one thing to, to add to that, um, I know this is for houses too. I mean, any any glass period 3m makes this blast film that is really effective at uh, basically making windows i mean not unbreakable but even if they're broken almost impossible to get through um, and to do you know the the driver and passenger uh, windows would not be terribly expensive uh, mm-hmm. i don't think you'd really need to do the windshield because it has that protective film that keeps it from completely shattering anyway from uh, from the factory as per uh, whatever dot standard that is but uh, but, you know, and, you know, a carjacker typically isn't going to try to smash the windshield anyway. They're, they're way harder to, to fuck with. But that's the first time someone's brought that up to me. I never thought we have that on our house windows, but yeah. not in a car. I didn't think of that. Yeah, because, you know, there like there are a lot of um, discrete uh, emergency window breaking tools, you know, that will 
shatter a fucking window really quickly. Realize that there is a, a double-edged sword to that and that in case of an emergency now, EMS isn't going to be able to bust your fucking window. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, yeah, but, caveat. Yeah, At but, your own risk. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's what the Jaws of Life are for, right? I don't know. Right. I guess you got to determine what you know which uh, which one's more more important to you. But it's something to think about. And, and again, like whether it's um, on your windows in your house, or your car, or office, or uh, you know whatever, uh, it's it's a very effective tool because windows are you know typically one of the weakest points of any structure, uh, including cars. You know, I mean, it's the fastest way somebody's going to get through a locked something. And this is why I bring these up. Let's just start the conversation. Yeah. Like we don't have to. Okay, at least be thinking about it. At least be thinking about it or have these items in your vehicle. Do you know how to use jumper cables? Do you know how to change the car? Does your car even have a spare tire anymore? Yeah. You know, that that's just a given. And now that's not always. Yeah, mo- a lot of them don't. Yeah, they yeah. don't come factory yeah. with a spare tire. Okay, do you have a run flat? How do you, all these things that growing up, changing your, checking your oil, checking your fluids is we take it for granted or now everything is electronic. So we're just waiting for the um, alert to go off, yeah. you know, in the dash. Yeah. And then do we know what that means when that goes off? Yeah. So let's have these conversations because it's going to make them feel empowered. And then if they get, they end up with a flat tire on the side of the road. And that's, I think that's where I put that story is, you know, um, I was giving a class to a group. It was mostly females with one guy and he's sharing a story about how he was trying to be a gentleman. He was trying to be the good guy and help the woman on the side of the road with a flat tire. And so he pulled over in front of her and he walks up and she's like, no, 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 I've got help coming. You know, I don't need any help. Thanks. And, and he, in his story, what he's telling me is like, I knew she was lying. I felt like she was blowing me off, but I was like, fine, whatever. I got to get to my appointment. Anyway, he left, goes to his appointment as he's coming back down the same road. She's still there, but now she's putting the tire back on. So he pulls over and he's like, you know, kind of, grumbling under his breath, takes the tire iron from her, puts the, you know, tire, the new tire on, throws the spare, the flat in the trunk and all this stuff. And he was, and so he's telling me the story and he's like, you know, she just would have let me help her in the first place. Then she could have been on her way. And I was like, if that would have been me, you might have ended up in the hospital. Cause let me give you the perspective of a female. And in, in the book I say, this is what I would have thought. I don't know her. I don't know what she was thinking. But I'm just trying to give you a different perspective is, yes, I get you're trying to be a gentleman. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to help. But understand there is fear in us that we look at you like I'm on this, you know, not very public road or, you know, there's not a lot of houses around. That scares me. No, you don't scare me, but the scenario scares me. And how do we all learn how to do something by struggling through figuring it out the first time? So yes. Did she take longer than you would have to change your tire? Yes. But did she learn something? Yeah. Okay. Well, isn't that what we really want is we want people to try things, fail, try, get better. So, okay. Yes. Was it ideal in your mind? No. But did, did it hurt? Would it have hurt to just let her do it? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, unless she's trapping off in her tire, it's not completely on. Yeah. Uh, no, it's all, all super good points. I am a big fan of run flats for um, anybody that I would say I don't want them in a position where they're sitting on the side of the road with, with a flat tire. But uh, I think that's So have, that's do you, have you like gone through how to do that with your daughters? Like they yeah. fully, that's awesome. Yeah, but you know, to me, I, I still don't, uh, you know, to pick like, even though, yeah, you know how to do it, do I want you on the side of the road dealing with it? Not particularly. You know, like no. I, I would rather you have a run flat that you're like, oh shit, 
it's getting low and you've still got 40 miles before it's too low to drive on. Um, that, that would be my preference, but um, environment travel safety. Yes, yeah, so that's another one um, when we're traveling, going back to that. Well, careful what you say. You know, yes, you're trying to make small talk. You're trying to be friendly with the Uber driver, the Lyft driver, whatever, or the hotel staff. You don't have to look at everyone as having ill intent, but it doesn't hurt to play it safe. You don't know where you go, all the travel. So how those people are connected or are they good people or not good people? You don't know. But play on the side of safety. Making your safety a priority should always be at the front of your mind, no matter what. It's not being rude. It's keeping your safety a priority. And so what are little things, you know, that, oh, I didn't even think of that. It's the conversation. When you're outside of uh, the convention space or the meeting space, when you're traveling for work, take the conference badge off. Because what does that scream to everyone? I'm not from here. Mm -hmm. And I'm only in town for a few days. And it's easy enough to go online and be like, oh, that's the conference. How many days? What's the host hotel? So they're probably staying at this place. And Oh, and the company's from here. So (laughs) let me talk about. Right. Oh, logo wear. And I get you can't always choose what if you can or can't wear logo wear. But it's like, be aware. Someone's starting a conversation with you like, oh, I see you work at the Diamond Arrow Group. Well, I'm in this. And it's like, oh, are you? Do you have a card? Yeah. You know, just doing things like that where just be smart, stay sharp. Yeah. And and think of those things when you're traveling because you are at more of a disadvantage because you're not as familiar with the area. You may not have close contacts depending on where you're traveling. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what the crime is like. You don't know what is typically what is a baseline because you haven't established that yet. What's normal. Yeah. And I think kind of going back to chapter five that I don't want to be rude. I think kind of in that same vein, like you can, you can be polite without lacking boundaries and oversharing. And you can also put a boundary up and, and say no without being a bitch, you know, Um, which I think is, is important because I think that's what keeps most people from not doing the right thing is they don't want to be thought of as that. You know, but well, and getting used to that. If you've never been, if you haven't had practice enforcing boundaries, it is going to feel odd at first. Yeah. It is going to feel like that was rude. Like when they're like, "No" is a complete sentence. Okay, have you tried just saying no, and then not anything else? If you've not, if you're not used to saying that, it feels awkward. Like yeah. I should probably give an excuse or a reason why I'm saying no. Even with friends, yeah. it can feel awkward. Um, but that's the thing is. Once you start practicing and get better, and you don't have to be like, no, or, you know, I always say, no, get back. You yeah. know, yes, that's a great thing to do if that's what the situation calls for. But if someone's standing a little too close to you and you don't know, are they even aware? You know, are they just completely oblivious? You don't have to say, pack the fuck up. You can say, Psh, I know my perfume smells good, but you're standing a little close. I don't want you to burn off your nose hairs. You might want to back up a bit depending on how they respond, is going to tell you a lot about their intent. If they start laughing, they're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize that. I'm so sorry. No harm, no foul. And they're going to move away. If someone's like, yeah, it does smell good, you're going to be like, okay. <laughs> and go to the next step. You yeah. can go to the next level. Yeah, that's fucking great. I, uh, I do practice saying no and only no on my kids all the time. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Again, context matters, yeah. Mike. I know. <laughs> As you guys know, uh, health and fitness is a big part of my daily routine and my lifestyle. I have a number of guests that come on that, uh, you know, that we talk about all, all sorts of things, health and fitness related, uh, diet, nutrition, et cetera. 
Uh, I started taking athletic greens uh, a few months ago here uh, for that reason is that it's a uh, all all encompassing vitamin and mineral supplement, 75 vitamins and minerals. Uh, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you do keto, paleo, vegan, it's dairy free, gluten free, uh, less than one gram of sugar. There's no uh, GMOs or nasty chemicals. There's no artificial anything in it. Uh, and it's just very nutrient dense and uh, and gives you that that supplementation that you need to combat cold and flu season coming up to bolster your immune system uh, and just help with a with a healthy lifestyle. Um, right now, the the subscription, if you sign up for it, comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which again uh, is is crucial to uh, immune support, as well as five uh, on the go packets uh, with that first purchase. Um, whether you want to invest in in your health or just supplement an, an already existing protocol that you have, uh, Athletic Greens has been a a phenomenal staple uh, that I've added into my regimen, and I couldn't be happier to be working with them. Uh, if you want in on that deal, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop, um, and they they do a phenomenal job at uh, all the things that uh, health and fitness. Um, wise need to be done on a daily basis. So check them out. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop and they will hook you up with that uh, special deal. Uh, this is only the beginning. Yes, it is. This is just the beginning of this conversation. But I, that's why part of me really appreciated you taking the chance and having me on your show yeah. or inviting me to come on your show or accepting my ask, yeah. I guess, to come on your show because that's what I want is I want to have this conversation. There's a lot of misconceptions that I run into. There's a lot of egos that I run into yeah. um, because this is typically a male dominated space. Like, Oh yeah, we're talking situational awareness. I'm like, Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. And they're like, yeah. When, when the active shooter is in your school and you gotta do this, I'm like, that's too late. Yeah. I mean, there, yes, that is situational awareness. I'm talking about earlier signs. Yeah. And um, like for instance, one of your more recent guests was talking about um, school safety, topic on school safety. And I'm like, yes, that's so well needed. And I belong to the Association of Threat Assessment Managers or Professionals, excuse me, and a lot of our conferences. It's like we're trying to get way ahead of that. Yeah. It, let's not wait until the active shooter brings the firearm to school. Let's Let's catch them when they're early because there's almost always early warning signs. There's almost always leakage as they say um but there can be a lot of words said without actions so it's so imperative to be like there's more get curious because there's the planning stages and that's a whole nother conversation but really what i'm trying to do with situational awareness what makes me different is i'm trying to a make the information relatable to anyone like put me down in a coffee shop and say go talk to that person Okay, let's talk about this. Where are you at? Where are your strengths? Um, I had someone play devil's advocate with me, and they're like, okay, well, I'm a female, and I've never, you know, taken a martial arts class, and I've never handled a firearm, and I've never done this, and blow, you know. I was like, okay, did you play any sports? And they're like, uh, yeah, I played softball. I'm like, great. You've got a great arm, I bet, at, at throwing, you know. and You know how to swing like, a bat, too. You know how to swing a bat. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it. So often the lanyards that oftentimes I've got like a bazillion things hanging on. It's like, that's a really good whip. You know, you whip that at them. That can be a weapon. So talking about those things or a tool, that can be a tool to safety is, okay. I like weapon better. <laughs> how can we have these conversations 
that they can relate to that makes them feel empowered. Because if we're only saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, that's what gets stuck in their head. You know, it's kind of like the last thing. Well, don't say don't say this word, and then all that in your head is thinking of that word, yeah. and you end up saying it. Yeah. So how can we take it and say, okay, think about this. Here's the good things. Here's how we're going to break it down. Because my fear is when we only use fear-mongering, when we only use scare tactics, when we only show worst-case scenarios, that's what gets stuck in women's heads, and they're like, I'm going to die. Yeah. This is just going to happen. This is, this is natural. It's like, no, there are other things. And... If nothing happens, you'll never know. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, to, or a couple of points that I, I draw from that is first and foremost, like from the being able to relate standpoint, I think that that's critical is that, you know, whether you're talking dog training, you know, training people for athletics, uh, you know, military law enforcement, this, whatever is that it can make all the sense in the world to who's teaching it. If it doesn't make sense to who's trying to learn it, then it doesn't matter how good you are at it, how much you know. If you can't effectively communicate and, and to your point, ultimately relate to the person that you're trying to teach, none of that fucking matters. You know, and you see that a lot in, in a lot of different industries where people are really, really good at what they do, but they're terrible at, at teaching other people because they're either way over their head or they're just looking at it from such a different perspective that uh, that it makes it really tough to retain any of that knowledge. And I think you know, having women teach women stuff like this is, is crucial because there's things there that I'm just not going to see that, that frankly, any man isn't going to see and, and vice versa. So I think that that's important. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the last chapter is uh, sharp women unite. Uh, what, what can you tell me about that? I think we do better when we work together. I'm, I'm big on collaboration. I don't have all the answers. I don't, you know, I don't have a firearm background. The first time I whole held a firearm was boot camp. Yeah. You know, I didn't grow up. My dad wasn't a hunter. My brother wasn't. I mean, he does now a little bit. So until I married my husband, it was like, oh, you know, first Christmas present. Here's your own, you know, first firearm, first yeah. fire, handgun. I'm like, oh, of course. Well, yeah. I married a cop. Probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that's not my expertise. So I don't pretend to know stuff. Yeah. And to be able to answer questions. If somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm interested in getting a firearm. I'm like, great. A, where are you in the world right now? Because there's lots of things. But hey, I know this person's great. Oh, do you follow this person? Hey, connect with this person. Physical self-defense. Do I think you should learn physical self-defense? Yes. Self-defense is not martial arts. Okay. Those are those are good skills to 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 build and get you comfortable with close contact to get you comfortable with physical contact in that realm, but it's never choreographed. And if you're waiting for them to do this, you can do this. It's, it's not going to look that way. And then you might freeze in the moment going, wait, am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? Yeah. Again, I'm trying to keep it generalized, but, um, I'm to me, the unite is I'm not trying to replace physical self-defense classes. I'm not trying to replace anyone in their expertise. Instead, I'm saying, let's have the conversation because I will bring a different perspective. And if our ultimate goal is to help women live safer, live how they want to live, doing the things they want to do, well, then we should find a way. You and I should find a way to work together to make it better for them. Yeah. Because if that's the end goal, that's what we're both trying to do. Well, let's let's let the ego thing go yeah. and, and just have the conversation <clears throat> because that and nine <laughs> times out of 10, that's what I get when I connect with people 
yeah. um, other trainers or other instructors. Um, but it's not always the case. Yeah. And, and so often people are like, oh, wait, you teach self-defense, but we're not going to hit things. I'm like, yeah. Like it's sort so of. new that people don't, I spend most of my time even saying, well, this is what I mean by situational awareness. Yeah. And then one, it's like the light bulb goes off yeah. in their head and they're like, oh, you need to be teaching this in high schools. You need to be teaching this here. You gotta, have you talked to flight attendants? Have you talked to restaurants? Have you talked to hotels? Have you It's like, yep. That's if you have connections, give them my name. I'd be happy to talk with them because yeah. these are to your point skills men and women can use. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to elaborate or, or further that point, and that was actually the second thing, th- thing that I was going to say that, uh, escaped my mind as we were uh, g- going into the last chapter. But, um, is that, you know, yeah, I, I think keeping yourself in good shape, um, you know, being strong, whether it's jujitsu, self-defense, a combination of, you know, striking and grappling, doing live sparring, making yourself that if push comes to shove and, and you have to physically defend yourself, like make yourself as big of a pain in, in that person's ass as possible. But the goal should be to never get to that point, you know, and I, and I think that's, where a lot of times um, people kind of, uh, you know, can't see the forest for the trees in that way a little bit, where it's like they're, they're just focused on, like, claw their eyes with your keys and, you know, all these kind of almost Chuck Norris 80s cheesy self-defense tactics, um, which, again, I'm not saying don't learn them. But I think it's important, and, and you should. But, you know, look at it more like like cold weather, you know, is, is that the more layers you have to make yourself a, a hard target, the better, you know, and, and if, and if, it, you know, your spidey senses go up and you're situationally aware enough to, to notice some things that are a little off that if you weren't paying attention now get you into a point where now you, you do have to physically react because, you know, you, you didn't say, wait a minute, this is fucked up. Let me, uh, you know, change my direction or, you know, alter whatever my behavioral pattern is or, or what have you, then, then you'd never get in that place in the first place. So I think, you know, kind of taking that multi-prong approach is, uh, is, is really important. Um, lastly, it says uh, how, how we can work with you, um, in terms of kind of what you offer, what you prefer to do and, and how people can get a hold of you and, and kind of what, uh, what you want to offer the, uh, the public, what does that look like? Right now, um, what I've found working or most effective is a speaking engagements on a stage at women's events. There's all these women's empowerment events, whatever. And I'm like, this is a really important topic. But most of the time, right away, they go, are you going to talk about like violence and gore and gross stuff? And it's like, I am, but I'm going to do it in a fun way. Yeah. I promise you're going to you're gonna, lots of pictures. <laughs> yeah. You're going to laugh and you're going to actually enjoy this conversation. Um, but the, the training and honestly, before the pandemic doing corporate training focus, that was really tough. Cause they kind of put it in the employee wellness bucket of like, this is the niceties. These are like the perks. Like we're going to help our, our female employees be safer when they're living in their personal lives. But the pandemic really kind of ripped that blindfold off and said, actually, if you're not care if you're not aware of the impact that domestic violence can can have on the workplace violence situation if you're not aware of productivity if you're not aware of if you don't provide that OSHA duty of cause safe work environment that can actually come back to haunt you because you were like no no no, that doesn't happen here that's not going to spill over into work 
So now companies are a lot more open to having that conversation and um, that the men get just as much out of it because they're always like, well, do you just talk to women or will you talk to both men and women? I'm like, I'll talk to both because we need allies too. Yeah. And, and again, I don't think men are intentionally doing things to brush off our feelings. They just don't get it. They don't have that perspective. I mean, how often have we, you know, do you hear guys say, I don't, I don't understand how women think. I don't yeah. get it. I don't get it. And then I'm like, but yet you're trying to teach, tell us how we feel. So it's, no, let's just have this conversation and in a fun way that's not confrontational. And then self-defense instructors. I'm like, you're great. You do your thing. You've got your groove down. You've got your curriculum. This is an add-on. Yeah. This is, you don't have to become the situational awareness expert. You know, I'll, I'll partner with you. I'm not, again, trying to replace you. I'm just saying, let's have the two conversations. Yeah, it's the, the, the precursor to the hands-on stuff. Right. Like, give them the book. Have them read it. Yeah. Sharp Women, um, where can people uh, purchase the book? So you can get it on Amazon. Um, that's probably the quickest way with, with if you have Prime. But the website, the diamondarrowgroup.com, is really the best place. That's where you're going to get some content. You're going to figure out, oh, I want to work with Kelly. I want to have her as a speaker. I want to bring her as a trainer. Or I'm interested in more information. You know, we just launched our podcast this year, Thrive Unafraid. Um, and that's where we're trying to have those real conversations and challenge the status quo or challenge some of the hypocrisy that's out there and say, hmm, we're, 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 we just want to have this conversation so you can overhear it, yeah. man and a woman's perspective, and be respectful and answer your questions, whatever you may have, because there's no stupid questions. And so often uh, it's amazing to me when I'm out training or teaching individuals and I'll catch myself assuming that they know like I'll hand them the water trainers for mace and they're like wait how do I use this like they don't even to stick the thumb in to get under the safety cap it's not intuitive they're like oh okay or you know I had one girl a woman young lady asked me she's like well my dad doesn't want me to carry anything because he's worried it's going to be used against me you know okay, we got to have this conversation. Let's talk through it. Or should I call someone and have them on the phone with me while I'm walking from work to my car? It's not saying, no, that's a bad idea. It's like, okay, well, let's talk through this. So what is that person supposed to do if you get attacked? And, you know, in talking through that, then they're going, oh, they kind of, those critical thinking skills. Yeah. So if you go to the website, you can get all of those type of things and ways to connect ways to reach out if you have questions. I'm always open for those, awesome. those questions and yeah. stories. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, for me, it strikes a nerve being a, a father of two girls and, uh, you know, just seeing the, the things that go on uh, both in our society as well as, you know, around the world. And uh, it's really important stuff. And, and I appreciate everything that you're doing and, and have done and continue to do. The book is great. Uh, I recommend it to, to anybody that wants to, to learn more about this stuff and also to contact her uh, direct and, and line up having her come in or work with you guys uh, or even, you know, do, do podcasts to uh, further kind of what you're talking about because it's uh, super important. So uh, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I want to ask you what was your number one takeaway? What was something that surprised you in the book? Because that's, that's one thing. It's I love hearing from the guys with like... For me, for me, it's the, and it shouldn't be a surprise, but it's the difference in the way I look at threat assessment versus the way you would. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that disparity, I think, is is really what highlights how important it is to have women be integrally involved in this type of training. And I think it's easy for guys to like, well, I'm the fucking protector and, you know, it's my job and that's so I'll, I'll teach you and, and whatever. But again, it's like there's trains of thought. The, the way that, that men look at things is just different, you know, in, in some ways. Um, and, and so to me, that's, that's what stuck out the most, I guess, was, was that contrast of, even though I know that, like I have two daughters, I, I know that the way I look at things is almost fucking completely opposite of how they view it. <laughs> um, you know, but it, but it's still, it's like it, it that point, um, never ceases to remind itself, uh, in, in conversations when you're, uh, you know, trying to train anybody else is that, you know, and I, and I run into it again in dog training all the time. It's like, I know what I want the dog to do, but if he doesn't fucking understand it, then it doesn't matter. Like then I, I need to change whether it's the environment, you know, my body language, you know, how I'm setting things up to get him to make the decision that I want him to make so that I can mark and reward it. I mean, reinforce it, whatever. But, um, is that even though I know that and I live it, like sometimes I still have to be reminded of it. And, and, uh, you know, that's what kind of stuck out the most to me, but, um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so for all you guys out there, uh, again, uh, thank you for coming. I appreciate you taking the time to, to come down and, and scour through the book. Um, lots of really good information. I encourage uh, everybody listening to, uh, to go check it out. Um, get the book and contact, uh, Kelly for any, any further follow on training, uh, get your kids involved. Uh, if nothing else, um, you know, use the book as a springboard into those conversations with your kids because, um, man, it, it's, uh, and I'm not trying to fear monger, but it, it is fucking frightening, yeah. uh, you know, what's out there, especially in this digital age. And I, and I do truly think that conversations and education, one-on-one education, parents and kids, uh, teaching them how to kind of rationalize, recognize, realize it's a lot of R's, <laughs> um, you know, what I have an acronym there of it, some sort. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what's taking place and whether or not your spidey senses should be up and, and if you should be listening to them. So uh, I do have a gift for you. Yeah, it's a, a parting gift for coming on. So here's a, you gave me a coin from your husband's uh, unit, which I thoroughly appreciate. And thank you for, for keeping <gasps> us safe. Very so, cool. so there's a coin back. Um, and I did give you a coin just for clarification. People are like, yeah, it's oh, already only your there. husband's yeah. coin. Yeah, but yeah both, both <laughs> coins. I guess I've, you know, you sent yours a while back, so it's been yeah. up there for a little while now. But This is awesome. Thank yeah. you. So a mic drop coin with uh, with my business emblem on the back. but And then uh, the box is something that you can proudly wear up in uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. <gasps> nice. Yeah. So Share this. So I'm going to need to see a picture on Instagram of you rocking that in, in uh, Minneapolis <laughs> next time you go into town. So. Next time I go out downtown, yeah. I'm going to yeah. wear my mic drop. You damn Choke right. yourself, man. That's right. With Love the, it. With, some, with some shit kickers and a, and a Wrangler. Or a, uh, and Stetson. A Stetson yep. hat, yeah. Hey, my husband was there an go. armorer, so he has a Stetson. Go. Do it. Oh, my gosh. That would be hilarious. I'm going to do it. Awesome. I'm going to do it. Uh, to the listeners, I appreciate you guys tuning in uh, show after show and supporting our sponsors. Um, and, you know, it gives us the ability to have amazing guests like Kelly come on. So thank you for continuing to listen. If you didn't like it, choke yourself. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.
Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.